You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. All right, everybody, welcome to another. Ominous sounding episode of the GGTMC. <laughs> Some weird timing there, man. Kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> wow. All right. So we are back uh, with a new episode this week. We are covering, uh, I guess, Amir's from, it says 2009, I think, on the IMDb. We can say 2010, right? Yeah, it's been working the festival circuit since 2009. So, you know, it's one of those things you could call it either or, I think, really, and not be wrong. All right. So Amir will say 2010. Uh, very talked about films. We'll be talking about that, and we'll also be talking about Silver oh, Saddle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Silver Saddle from one Lucio Fulci, uh, one of the later cycle spaghetti westerns, to say the least. And a very happy son I have right now. Let me tell you. And uh, okay, so that is what we're covering. Uh, I think that film's from '78 too, by the way. It is nice, nice, good memory there. Okay, so let's get into what we've been watching while uh, Nurse. That sounds perverted, but I am. That's basically what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, I have watched the following. Sorry, I was looking at something. Uh, I watched Easy A with my wife, which I was going to watch last week. Didn't get around to it. I do like the film, and I think I understand a lot of people like Emma Stone, but I do think that the film is kind of symptomatic of what I think she is. Where her pro- similar in terms of what the problem I have with her is that. I find she's almost a little too cute for her own good. Uh-huh. Okay. A little too wisecracky. Like uh, Patricia Clarkson and Stanley Tucci, I love them both. But it's, they're just two, like, witty, hip, one-liner parents going back and forth with her. Like, it just, like I started rolling my eyes. It was just too much for me. But with that being said, I do think it's a pretty good film. Um, it has some moments, you know, it's uh, it's not bad. No, I, I can't complain. It was enjoyable enough. Okay. Uh, next, I watched um, Yakuza, or the Yakuza, uh, of course, with uh, the Mitchum, Robert Jordan, uh, Ken Takagura, I believe. Uh, this is, of course, written by the Schrader brothers um, and Robert Town, I believe. Uh, I fucking loved, loved, loved this film. If anyone has seen Eddie Coyle uh, at our advice or recommendation, Seek out the Yakuza. I don't think it's quite as good of a film, but it is it is definitely as cool, if not cooler, of a film, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, it does. I think it kind of does. And I think it makes a great double bill. I was thinking about this of all times last night, 2 in the morning. Uh, my body was aching. I had to take a piss. Uh, <laughs> and I'm in the washroom. You know, because being a, a cinephile, you tend to think about things all the time. And you, and you and tend I, to piss. And you tend to piss a lot, a lot of uh, coffee and fluids and stuff. But I, start, I started thinking they make a great double bill in, in terms of also the juxtapositioning of how much the Yakuza is about honor and how Eddie Coyle is about everything but honor. <laughs> you know, as, as far as the criminal element goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, but I really like this film, man. It's super cool. I hope uh, everyone checks it out and lets us know how it goes. Uh, next up was um, a film that wasn't quite as super cool as its title, and that's uh, El Ninja Mexicano. Ah, yes. <laughs> now, would that become El Nina Mexicano or Ninja or <laughs> El Nina? Some, some of our Spanish speaking uh, 
<laughs> listeners help us out uh not very good the problem was also i had no subtitles and i know people could say yeah, you don't need subtitles i felt like i'm anal like that i need subtitles um there's some decent ninja action you get the camouflage ninja the blue ninja a lot of underground parking garage battles um you know it's okay it wasn't great um next up i watched peeping tom which i'd never seen and i think is fucking fantastic and i'll say this i prefer it to psycho uh well I do too uh, I think I've mentioned I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the show but I think Psycho I know this is always gets me in a lot of trouble with film geeks but I think Psycho is extremely overrated um, um I don't in terms of its uh, how it impacted the landscape of cinema and particularly that kind of cinema but yeah that I'll agree with I'll agree it's an important film I just don't think yes. it's a very, I just don't think I think it's a very average film I think it's it's good not great and I think Perkins is fantastic in it but as a yes. film I think Peeping Tom way ahead of its time incredible film i really can't recommend it enough yeah. um, ruined michael powell's career very interesting in hindsight when you think about that yeah it's really a shame that his career got ruined by that film what a mass i mean way ahead of his time a really yep. great film yep uh next up i watched scott pilgrim which i know you weren't a big fan of i thought it was pretty good i okay. don't think toronto had as much to do with it as anything i just i i enjoyed it you know uh i guess more than you did because you didn't like it and i was worried man because you and i are usually on the same page but uh no it was good I think it, I think it's a divisive film. I think it's you know, uh, it is what it is. I mean you know I don't I don't have I can't I don't have a lot of language to support my dislike of it, but uh, I can see where people like it. it doesn't you know bother yeah. me much. <laughs> no chocolate and vanilla, chocolate yep. and vanilla. Yep. Uh, and then finally to close out my week, I capped it off with uh, one of my favorites, Christina Lindbergh in Anita, Swedish nymphette. Oh yes. <laughs> so it's a good one. I'd seen it before. Uh, the copy I had seen was I think before the DVD came out, it was a pretty beat-up VHS uh, AVI, like a rip of a VHS. Um, it's a good film. I think she's better than people make her out to be because she she can... I, I coined this thing, like she has like this bruised angel look about her. Yeah. Um, and I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you know, truly one of God's creatures. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just love the Lindbergh. So anyway, that's what I've watched. What have you watched? All right. Also, let me second that I also love the Lindbergh. And yes. Limburger cheese. No, I don't. I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> Either way. Uh, okay. Uh, what did I watch? I watched uh, Martin Scorsese directed documentary, uh, Public Speaking, uh, for HBO. I believe this was on. I can't remember the author's name. I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But uh, pretty famous writer. Uh, it's good. It's a good documentary. It's, it's uh, good stuff. You know, Scorsese does these things kind of like you know Spike Lee and these guys kind of in between projects and stuff. And I always like these little, the you know, film experiments and things he does. Uh, I watched my Thanksgiving movie, uh, Stone Cold, <laughs> which, you know, less, not the less said the better. I mean, how much more can I say about it? It's awesome. If you haven't seen it, you're robbing yourself of cinematic culture. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> I watched uh, Freddie Mercury, The Untold Story. I actually watched this a couple weeks ago. I forgot to talk about it last week, but it's kind of like a, a little bit more kind of uh, behind Freddie's uh, childhood. You know, he's from Zanzibar, which is odd when you think about lead singers, where they're from. Uh, but he's from he was from Zanzibar and uh, you know he was uh, he's a very interesting guy and uh, I still believe whether you like his music or not nobody can deny that he was a showman to the very end incredible showman incredible voice oh incredible just amazing it's it's like talk about uh, if if, if, you know if you're a man of faith talk about somebody that was gifted by a god Jesus oh yeah I just don't even know how that's not even fair um I watched uh, Henry Silva, Lee Van Cleef, uh, Gregory Peck Western, known as the Bravados. That was my actually. That was actually my 365th film of the year. 
Very nice. I was going to watch that one this week. Strange. It's good. I mean, it's good. It's it's an older school western, so it's not quite as you know marinara filled as it you know as it probably would be you know if it was made later, like ten years later. I think it's nineteen fifty eight. So, uh, but you know, it's good. It's good. It's nice and tight. It's a good little revenge film, and uh, Silva's good in it, man. I mean, he pull he tries to pull off an Indian accent, which is a little dodgy, but hey, you know, Silva's good in it, and you know, Gregory Peck's Gregory Peck, and Lee Van Cleef uh, <laughs> overacting a little bit. So, <laughs> but hey, oh, nice. you know, it is what it is. It's good stuff, I- though. Can I, sorry to kick off. Can I just say I've always found Gregory Peck to not quite be as good an actor as people make him out to be. Uh, he's a stoic kind of personality. I don't know if he's a great actor as much as again he's kind of like this, you know, good-looking guy who kind of, you know, worked well in certain things. I guess I don't know how to say, it, but I, I agree with you. I don't think he's a great actor. I think he's a comp. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Com- he's he's very competent, and I think with the right material, he can definitely shine. Yes. Um, but I think he's not someone that is malleable or a chameleon like that can elevate a lot of material that's far below him. Yeah, he was a bit concrete in some ways. He was very stone like in some ways, kind of stiff. But, you know, he's okay. Uh, I watched uh, Carnival Magic. This is an Al Adamson movie <laughs> with a talking chimpanzee who at one point goes on a car chase. Yeah, it's, oh, that, wow. ki- it's that kind of movie. <laughs> it sounds a lot better than it is. It's like a lot of Al Adamson films. I think me and you have talked about Adamson off the air that, you know, his film, he's one of those guys kind of like, uh, well, we've talked about other directors. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that, you know, the films sound great. Like, uh, what do we, who do we always talk about? We, oh, it's a friend, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Spain? Fra- oh, Fra- Franco. Franco. Franco, yeah. His films always sound a lot better than they actually end up being. <laughs> yeah, and they look great if you see a still from a Franco. Well, Fra- yeah, Fra- compare Adamson and Franco. That's two different things as far as looks go. Adamson's oh, very country. much. Yeah, very different. <laughs> One's very European. One's very American drive-in. Yes. But, I mean, it, it was okay. Uh, it's something I had never seen, so I was excited to watch it. And it was all right. It wasn't uh, fantastic, but it was pretty good. <laughs> a chimpanzee in a car chase. <laughs> in, a, in a brown station wagon, nonetheless. Oh, and by the way, he hits a fruit stand. Oh, so. no way. Does he grab a banana on the way? Like, his, no. his long arm reaches no. out. And right, kinda... right before he hits it, he goes, I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. Right before he hits it, he goes, mm, fruit salad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making that up. Oh, man. <laughs> It's pretty, it's pretty atrocious. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyway, but thanks for root for that. He got he got that to me, and uh, I'm always a fan of the Adamson. As far as you know, I love those cheap driving movies. We you know that's that's no secret. I think a lot of us love those things. Oh yeah. I watched a uh, three and a half hour documentary on Mark Twain. I don't know why it was there. I thought I'd watch it. I hadn't seen it. It was a Ken Burns film. Good stuff. Good stuff, man. I recommend it to anybody who wants to check it out if you're interested in Mark Twain. Burns always quality stuff too. Oh yeah, always, always, always goes in depth. So you know, you get the whole Twain story here. So good stuff. I didn't know Mark Twain was actually the name Mark Twain. I mean, he took it as a pen name. Obviously, his real name was Samuel Clemens, but I didn't know that Mark Twain meant in the boating world because he was a riverboat captain for a portion of his life. That it meant uh, the it meant it's the it's the moment between still water and dangerous water. They would yell out on the boat, Mark Twain. I didn't oh, wow, know, I didn't know that either. I didn't know that. That was something I found out from this, and I found that very, very interesting that, you know, he loved riverboating, obviously, and uh, he took that name. I thought that was, that was uh, among many things that were interesting in the documentary, that was very interesting. Oh, wow. So, I'll have to check that one out someday, man, because Twain is someone I do find interesting in yeah. the stuff I've read about him, but... Yeah, yeah, very interesting guy. I watched uh, one of these, uh, you know, they did these uh, new Sherlock Holmes things that BBC did, or somebody did over in England, uh, these new, there's like three films, it's like a series, but it's really just like three hour and a half films of uh, kind of a reimagining Sherlock Holmes in modern day where he texts and 
and does stuff like that. It's pretty good. I watched the first one, A Study in Pink. It was uh, pretty good. I liked it. Uh, I liked like that title. Yeah, uh, yeah, really. It wasn't great, but uh, I did have fun with it, and I kind of like the modern take on. You know, Sherlock Holmes is a, you know, a character that you can put anywhere and make interesting, because you know he was like one of the first great literary figures and stuff. So they did some interesting things with him in this, with the texting and and computers and things. So it's fun. Uh, and also, last but certainly not least, at least for me, I watched Animal Kingdom. I know you had watched it, and you were kind of disappointed by it. I liked it a lot more than you did. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just thought it, it really held my attention. I really got into it, and uh, I really liked it quite a bit. Thought it was really good. So, don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's like top ten material or anything like that, but it really worked for me. I quite uh, quite dug it. And I mean, that one get one character, and I'm not going to go into details. Don't want to give anything story away. But that one character, man, what a fucking scumbag that guy was. He is a fucking scumbag. I'll tell you, I did like it. I just thought it was going to be like lock for top five of the year for me, and it mm-hmm. was at, at like a seven and a half for me, which is still a good film. Yeah, so. I'd say about an eight for me. So, I mean, we're not too far apart on it. But yeah, man, that one character, man, that dude, I don't usually get too uh, emotionally wrapped up in a film, but that fucking guy, I'm going to be honest with you right now, that guy, fucking guy was a scumbag, man. I wanted to take that guy out, man. Oh, totally. And I'll tell you, the one brother who's in the film the shortest amount of time, I really liked, and I want to look that actor up. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he's he's very good, very good. I think actually he was one of the ones that he's one of the ones that get name checked in like the first three names after Guy Pierce. So really uh, fucking good, man. Yeah, but it was a, it was a good film. I mean, I enjoyed it. I thought it was going to kind of be in the same boat, and it sounds like we're not too far apart anyway. But I I got, I got caught up in it and uh, really just couldn't stop watching it. So I had a good time with it. Uh, even though it's not a <laughs> it's not a happy go lucky movie. Uh. That's all I watched. That's it. Except for the two films with films. So I had a good week. I'm up to 373 on the year now. Now I'll see if I can get to 400. Yeah, that's the mark. Yes. All right. So that is all we watched. We're going to take a break and come back. And what do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's talk about... Pop, pop uh, music. Pop, yeah. pop, pop music. <laughs> you want to do, do Silver Style first and then... Uh... Sure. I'm riding in the sun right now. Yes. <laughs> all right. We will be back and talk a little Silver Saddle. We'll be back right after this. Ahoy, mateys. This is K.A.B., Antonio Bay. Stevie Wayne here, beaming a signal across the sea. I'll be here playing music all through the witching hour. I'm still waiting to hear from that weatherman. But in the meantime, stay here with me. Be sure to visit our sponsor, Paracinema Magazine. They're the source for all your genre movie needs. Check them out online at paracinema.net. Tell them Stevie sent you. Keep me turned on for a while, and I'll do my best to do the same for you. The Smooth Sound, Fabulous 1340, K.A.B. Muitas vezes o coração não consegue compreender O que a mente não faz questão Nem tem forças para obedecer Quantos sonhos já destruí Deixei escapar das mãos Se o futuro assim permitir Não pretendo viver em vão Meu amor, não estamos sós Tem um mundo a esperar por nós All right, we are back from break. I'm having a croissant while I'm listening to this. <laughs> yeah, the great, the great Sue George. Uh... <laughs> nice. Love it. 
Uh, it should be said we know he's Brazilian and that's Portuguese, but the <laughs> yeah. croissant does seem pseudo. It does have a Gainsbourgy kind of feel. It does. That's what I was thinking. I, mean, I was yeah. thinking of the Gainsbourg because that's what it totally feels like. Didn't want anyone to think we were ignoramus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going, yeah well, he's speaking yeah. fucking French. Well, I do want people to think I'm an ignoramus, but uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but you know, hey, but uh, you know, I didn't know it wasn't French. I'm, I'm not. To- I'm not totally gone yet. So, but it did. It just feel like something that has some croissant and maybe a nice tea. Totally, man. Totally. I think I was maybe taking more of the angle of the guy wearing the beret that shouldn't be wearing the beret. That's kind of an asshole, and you don't want to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, the striped black and white T-shirt. Oh yeah. Why <laughs> don't you go be a fucking mom? Anyway, <laughs> uh, okay. So our first film today is Silver Saddle, directed by one Lucio Fulci. You may have heard of him. And oddly enough, this is going to end up being our, I guess, our first Fulci film. Although it's not really technically, huh? That's a good point, yeah. That is a very good point. Uh, because we did do a Fulci film, Conquest, and uh, we just never got around to going back and doing it. We might at some point, who knows, but it just didn't seem... We, you know, you spend a lot of energy on these reviews, you just don't want to go back and re-record them, so we'll just kind of give it some time and some perspective. But uh, this is Silver Saddle from 1978, really on the very back end of Spaghetti Westerns. And by the back end, I mean just about the very end of uh, Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, but this is an interesting film. I'm going to try to get a synopsis. Well, you know what? I'll just make up a synopsis. This is basically a uh, it's basically a revenge tale and uh, a very simple one at that. And uh, that's really all I got to say. I don't really have a whole much more, more to say about it than that. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. I think that really kind of is what it is. Um, now, I think the first thing we need to say is uh, we, of course, got this. It's a Region 2 disc. It's from our very, very, very good friend Martin of omg-entertainment.com. He was kind enough to send us these, and these pa- these editions are really nice, man. It comes in like a nice uh, packaging and stuff. Um, there's some great special features on it, so good on him, and you can get it over at their store uh, or his store, online store. Yes, yes. Thank you very much, Martin. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Um, now, this film, of course, is a Fulci film, as you said, and it's, it's interesting, I think, that when people think about Fulci, um, they tend to think of his really insane kind of gore films but I happen to think that his Jali are his best work by by a landslide Um, yes I have to agree with you but in saying that I also think that people sometimes like I know Felipe kind of hates him in a way like all the people with the Fulci lipsters all that that rant he went on Um, but I think Fulci when we look back at his entire body of work is one of the upper echelon uh, genre directors of the time Um, I think he's got a lot of solid films in his filmography so I think maybe people sometimes are too dismissive based on his gore and stuff. Yeah, well, I think what it is, I know with Philippe, I know what it is. It was more, it's one of those things, the bandwagon thing, right? Fulci lives, people go grab the zombie shirt, and like, I know one of his big complaints was probably 90% of those people might not even have ever seen a Fulci film. <laughs> yeah, they've seen, you know, zombie or something. Yeah, or they've heard the name Fulci, and, you know, they think, oh, yeah, Fulci was a master, and then you ask them what they've seen, and they've seen zombie. So it's like, yeah. how can you call somebody a master when you've seen one film? So Yeah. But no, he's a very he's a very competent uh, director who I I think probably the only slight I have against him is sometimes he, well he was just he, he's a little bit like Argento to me in some ways I like him more than Argento for me, but he he was inconsistent. That's probably the best very, way to put it. Very much so. No, that's a fair statement. And I think you know what I found very interesting about this film was that it was seventy eight. I, I got to be honest, I didn't know that much about this film because this is one of Fulci's most obscure and hard to find films. And yes. yes. I had thought that he had maybe done this back in like 66 or 68 when he was first starting out because that's really when the Spaghetti Western was at its boom. And it's, I think he did this between Zombie and The Beyond. or Yeah, which is pretty or, amazing when you think about it. Oh, oh, totally. Because I think you're going to hear in our review, this is his 
most sensitive, sweet film, and it was between two real brutal, gory films. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he needed a palate cleanser or what it was, but came right at the end of the spaghetti western cycle. And that kind of leads me to my next point, Giuliano Gemma, who, you know, I've seen him in a few spaghetti westerns recently, um, and for The Roof, A Sky Full of Stars with Mario Adorf, which I know Zom's a big fan of, uh -huh. um, and this one. And I've seen him in a few other films along the way as well. I think he's, he's very, I don't think he's a great actor, but I think he's certainly good enough and and I just find it interesting that he was kind of like Lee Van Cleef in that he was resistant to do much. He was very comfortable in spaghetti westerns mm -hmm. and didn't do a whole lot outside of that. Like, like he should have been doing some of the, the Polizia films and other things, but seemed very resistant. And you can see 78. I mean, that's really even when the Polizia thing had started to uh, – it was starting to come on the back end of its its boom. And spaghetti westerns were the cycle before that even. So, You know, you know, who, you know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of um – He's like a uh, what's his name? Uh, is it George? Mar is it Mil Martin or is it Hilton? It's Hilton, right? George George, George Hilton. Yeah, yeah. He reminds me of him a little bit. I I would absolutely agree with that. He's kind of got that aw shucks, wholesome, wonderbred uh, George Hilton feel. Uh -huh. um, but I, I'll tell you who he looks like. He looks like a handsome version of Dario Argento. Uh, yeah, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I know his most popular work is his uh, Ringo films. He did a couple of Ringo films. So and Ringo yeah. was like a. Pretty popular Western character in Italy. Oh yeah, right behind absolutely. the Django, Ringo and Django are two of the two most popular. They made a lot of Ringo movies, but I think he only made two. But both of them are pretty good, from what I understand. I've seen one of them. I haven't seen the other. I got a couple, but I haven't seen them. I'm sure our good friend Brian Higgins has seen them. Um, but yeah, and then Fabio Fritzi did the score. So this is an interesting film. Uh, I think that the score on the whole is better than the theme song itself. The theme song is. Is pretty dreadful depending on your taste. I happen to kind of like it, um, despite it being dreadful. And it's it's it should be said it's one of those very one of those things that Italian uh, films do sometimes. Uh, in that the, the theme song is very literal. Yeah. Like the, the the lyrics, it says something like "You right after they shot your father." Yeah. Let's see. I'll pull it up a little bit here. Oh, nice. Let's hear just a few little soft notes. Child. <laughs> Very pretty, very sweet, very saccharine. You learn so young. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's the story. I like this part. Yeah. All right, so you guys kind of get the idea. It's a. Uh, I have to agree with you. It's it's going to be an acquired taste, but it's it's very milk toast, very white bread. But hey, we we be kind of sentimental. I like it, but it is it, it it's not a rugged theme by any means. No, no. no. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't give you the feeling of uh, cigarillos and, and five o'clock shadows. It gives you the feeling of uh, oh, those. The, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's like you know, happy, clean white boys sitting around saying, "This rocks, man." Yeah, or like the cigarettes in like the really long stemmed holders. If you're yeah. gonna smoke anything, or maybe the guy with the fucking beret again. Yeah, it might be the beret man again. Um, so uh, you know, one thing I like about this, and I wish they had done it more because they focus on it early on in the film. Is the film's called Silver Saddles. Um, but I love early on. I thought they were building the mythology by showing the horse with the silver saddle. Yes, yes. You know, it's a kind of a cool little thing. It's like, um, you know, much like a lot of films have their their kind of iconic uh, objects and so forth. The silver saddle should have been, I think, featured a little more than it was in the film. Not that a saddle anything really hinges on it, but I mean, hey, you're going to call a film silver saddle. I think you got to put it a few, a few more times in. Um, early on, there's a pretty a pretty nasty line, and it says right in the opening that uh, 
you know, Gemma's father uh, gets uh, got killed. But that whole altercation, there's a pretty nasty line where Gemma's father is like a poor farmer type, and he's saying to the evil land baron, you know, but we have no work. What am I supposed to do? And and the fucking scumbag says to uh, Gemma's father, "Put your wife in the whorehouse. The work ain't hard." <laughs> and I can I can kind of see how his blood would boil at that. So you know, it, it goes back and forth and. And uh, it ends, of course, in, in death. But um, seems like the work would be hard, so to speak. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly would be. Well, not in all cases, although it's probably why they're there in some cases. But yeah, uh, yeah there you go. You know, um, I got to be honest again. I didn't know much about this film. I thought it was going to be one of those those revenge tales where the we saw the opening. It, it started to play out just as I thought it would. But then I thought the rest of the film was going to be Gemma's quest to find the man, and the end was going to be the showdown. It's not that at all. He he kills the man on the spot as a young boy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's uh, not a spoiler. I mean, he literally does it right there and then. Yeah, within the first five minutes, and it's sung in the song. You can hear that. Yeah, yeah. He deserted. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was surprised by that. I thought it was going to be that long journey of him trying to, much like um, uh, what's his name there, uh, John Philip Law, looking for those spurs in Death Rides a Horse. Ah, yes, yes. That was going to be like that. Um, but anyway, so the film kind of rolling out. Gemma's trotting around the countryside, and and who do we stumble upon? Holy fuck! It's Jeffrey Lewis. Yes, a dub, a dub Jeffrey Lewis of all things. A dub Jeffrey Lewis. I was, you know, you and I are big fans of his. I just wasn't expecting to see him in this. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, he, I think, it, by this point, he'd already done like any which way but loose and other things. But you know, Jeffrey Lewis, one of those uh, character actors who never met a paycheck. You know, he didn't like. So uh, yeah, and then I uh, just you're right. I think. I, again, I could have seen this if this was the '60s. <clears throat> yeah, but to yeah. be this late when he's kind of established himself as a good character actor in Hollywood uh, was was very surpri- a very pleasant surprise. I have to totally agree with you, though. One thing you said earlier, I didn't say anything then, but this film does totally feel like it was shot in 1968, not 1978. Well, because the sentiment of the film is very simple and and it's very much black hat, white hat, and that that's the weird thing about this man. This is a spaghetti western. You would think that the director, the time period, it would become one of these postmodern, really down in the mud and the blood and dark, cynical spaghetti westerns, but it's quite the opposite of everything you would expect based on the, the information you were given. Yes, yes, totally. Um, so there, there's a great homoerotic line early on when uh, <laughs> someone says to uh, says to Gemma, you're always packing a pistol. Oh, no, no, the woman, the woman says it, the prostitute. She goes, you're always packing a pistol. Women don't interest you. <laughs> and uh, I just had to kind of smirk at that one, of course. <laughs> yes. Um, for a Fulci film, I found this one reasonably well shot and not so much showy, but when you get stuff where there's gunfights and there's action scenes, there's certainly something to be said for the, the, how clean and how clear they're shot. So you understand who's who in reference to everyone else in the scene. And I thought the action scenes were, were pretty well done in this, to be honest with you. Yeah. There's a great shootout with some banditos. Uh, in a nice little town, uh, it's very well done, and all the shoot the shootouts are all well done. They're well choreographed, and you yeah. know. But then again, you know, we're talking about Lucio Fulci. He's not again. He's not an incompetent filmmaker. He knows what he's doing. He just, you know, he made some bad movies in between some of his good movies. That's just all there is to it. <laughs> oh, I know for sure, for sure. But I have to kind of wonder if there was something going on in his life, like maybe a father was dying or something like that, where because this is completely tonally. Nothing that we've seen from him. Yeah, I know that some of the things I've read about Silver Saddle was that, you know, it's basically a kid's film and things like that. That's yeah. what I've read. Essentially, it is, in some ways, maybe an older kid's film because there is a little slight amount of gore with the gunshots. Yeah. But, you know, I guess it just depends on, you know, what age your kid is or how, 
your kid reacts to those things and stuff. But it is essentially a very simple uh, family western in a lot of ways, except for a yeah. few bullet hole shots. And, of course, you know, hookers, which you'd have to explain, obviously, I guess, or yeah. women of the night or whatever you want to call them. Uh, it really is a pretty sweet film. Yeah, no, it is. It, it, sounds, it, very much it, is. it really kind of sounds odd to say that, but it really is. It might be one of the kind of, like, sweetest films we've ever reviewed on here. <laughs> it's true. And, uh, you know, you could see very much um, this being like a, a Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer film. Ah, yes, 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 totally. Actually, you know what? I can totally see that. Like Terrence Hill being the Gemma character and uh, yep. Spencer could be maybe the bumbling two, gold. Two-strike snake. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, two-strike yeah, snake. No, absolutely could have been that. Um, the villain in this film, who there, there's a couple. Well, I don't want to reveal too much, but um, I think that the obvious main villain to him is, is the guy Turner. Um, uh, yeah. And I love I love Turner. I, I wish they had featured him more. If it had been more of a nasty Western, I would have liked to have seen him featured more. That's Gianni DeLuigi. He is a perfect visual counterpart to Gemma because Gemma's got the dark hair, the big dark eyes, whereas um, uh, DeLuigi, he looks almost like um, uh, Gianni Garco and Klaus Kinski. Ah, uh, yeah, Gianni Garco. That's another one. That's another one of those actors that's in a lot of these type of films and stuff that didn't really ever catch on anywhere else outside of Italy, it seems. Yeah, and he did a couple good Eurocrime films, too. He was really yeah, good in, yeah. uh, was it, uh, I can't remember if it was, um, uh, it was DeLeo's, Either Milano Calibro or Il Boss, maybe. I can't remember yeah. which one. He's got, uh, I think there's another, there's a Western I have that we might cover on the show sometime, a Garco Western, a Garco Western, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a Serbian man who happens to be Italian. It's really interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, the kid in this film, because this does feature a kid, and I know for some people, kids certainly, they don't like seeing kids in films, and the, the kid's side, sidekick can be pretty obnoxious. This kid didn't grate on me too much, I have to say. Um I don't know. I was okay with him. I do have to commend his taste in outfits. He wears an outfit that um, that Prince, or the artist formerly known as, would be envious of, and it was kind of like this, <laughs> yes. this brown crushed velvet number with all these white frills and very piratey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was actually very buccaneer like. Yeah. yeah, very buccaneer. And I thought that that kid's size it might have even fit Prince, man. Yeah, he might have been hanging out with that cop and undefeatable. <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> there, there, there are some uh, some harsh moments between the lead character and the kid that uh, some might find offensive. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I mean, I, I can say it. It's no, there's a slap across the face. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know. I mean, that could piss some people off, maybe. But you got to put it in context with the film and story. I don't think that, and the time. I think, yeah, I don't too. think Fulci was going for anything there and any cruelty or anything yeah yeah i don't think it's anything like that some some people might kind of gasp at that because you don't really see that in cinema anymore so no kind of you know i always like to kind of give little warnings like that like you know we did with the cat death and uh the category three film the animal cruelty and you know kind of give some people a heads up because i don't want them to lead into film saying oh yeah we love this you know you don't think one of these times i'll review a movie and be like oh it's the greatest movie i've ever seen it'll be like a movie totally about beating the crap out of a kid or something i don't want people to think i'm some kind of weirdo but we're gonna blindside them yeah no that's (laughs) good but, uh, you know, the kid, you're right. I don't think it's the kid that's obnoxious, by the way. I think it's the dubbing. Yeah, kid dubbing. I know you hate some of the kid dubbing in Italy. Yes. And this this one is particularly bad. The kid is not bad. The acting is not really that bad and everything. It's just the dubbing. I felt kind of bad about the dubbing because I felt like, you know, they had to feel like they had to make this character very childlike. And so that's what they did. And they made him incredibly childlike. And what was, I'm trying to think of the one, I mean, you really fucking had a raging hate for it. Was <laughs> I think it was the kid in um, in Crime Busters with Silva and Sabato. <laughs> oh, yeah, that one was bad. Oh, that was terrible, man. Oh, God. I mean, you, you were doing the voice and you were like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes it can be really bad. I mean, uh, dubbing is, is a crapshoot, right? So 
yeah. I really wish they wouldn't have dubbed Jeffrey Lewis in this film. Uh, oh, I know. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I love the table of guns we see at Barrett's house. I think it's great. And, you know, that, that comes back, of course, later on. But I think it's a great visual thing, a uh, little flourish. Um, and I love, you know, one of the things I love about this film is Westerns very much, as much as there are shootouts and everything else, it's very easy for that to become... Um, not that it's dull, but I think because of that convention in Westerns with the shootouts, it, you can kind of begin to tune out after a while because you see it so often. There's only so many logical ways you can mm-hmm. have the violence in a, in a Western, but I really liked that Fulci in this mixes it up a bit and he gets uh, Gemma's character with a bit of MacGyver in him when he <laughs> takes the carbide. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there, there's you get these explosions and stuff. They're shooting these carbide canisters and stuff. And I think, it, it, you know, it, uh, it it adds a certain element to it that that makes a little bit of variation into it, which is good. And I think at this point, I think it was about halfway through the film, I thought, i got to give this film some credit. It's pretty pacey for what it is. Yeah, yeah. And it, you're right about one thing. This one is a pretty standard uh, Western. And it, yeah. really in Fulci's filmography, this is a very incredibly standard movie. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I said to somebody, I can't remember who I was talking to off the air, but I uh, dropped a pacifier again. Um, the uh, Fulci was interesting when he did Westerns. It's like he was a totally different filmmaker. He really oh, yeah. was, he was really one of those rare birds who could adapt to the genre. Like, if he did horror, yeah, they were nasty or gory. If he did giallo, they were sleazy. If he did Westerns, they were, they were like you said, kind of slight, kind of sweet, kind of normal films. And... He was very interesting that way, and in that he was very he's very much the Italian director in some ways, and that he could adapt to the genre he was working in very well. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's very chameleon like, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, which you know that the Italian industry was at that time. You had to kind of be able to work in different genres, mm-hmm. and that's why I always find it interesting when certain uh, big heavyweights in the genre have these big holes in terms of the 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 waves that they rode or didn't ride. Like for example, Fulci and Diodato, two uh, directors known for their horror didn't really do too much of the euro crime stuff uh yeah that's true they did not or even diodato i can't think of any westerns he's done i could be wrong i'm sure i'm wrong but he might have done one but that's what i'm saying i love finding these blind spots and i, I wonder why did they not like the genre what was it you know what was the, the thinking for that but yeah uh, like that, martino martino only did yellows <laughs> and euro crime really he didn't really no, no westerns in there yeah no there's one there's one is there? Yeah, but not very many. Yeah, Arizona Colt, I believe. Oh, yes, I have that, actually. Martino's one lone Western, I believe. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, Lewis is, of course, perfect as the sidekick. I mean, you know, great character actor. He's good to kind of do that role, so mm-hmm. really good. Um, like I said, I like the score. It's pretty solid. It's a little bit playful. It, it's it's a light score, as we said, but that's really in line with the film. It's a light, slight film. Um Oh, it's kind of, I don't know if it's charming or if it's bizarre and awkward that for the first bit of the film, Gemma calls the young boy pee in the pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I haven't been called that since Whorehound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, hey, you you decided to wear the yellow hanky in the left pocket, back pocket, so. That is true. I asked for it. Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, it was supposed to be pee in your pants, not everybody pee on my pants. <laughs> yeah, or on my face for that matter. <laughs> Actually, maybe that's what I was going for. I was wearing the yellow hanky, so. Yeah, careful what you wish for. Can't can't blame too many people for that one. No, you can't fault anyone for that. Uh, actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, before we recommend this to Doc and KK, and, and I'll regret this, there is one very Fulci scene, and that's we see a bunch of priests executed and strung up throughout a monastery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some moments. That's what I'm saying. It's it's a kid's film, but maybe a... Uh, or it could be a kid's film, but maybe an older kid's film. Maybe like tw- 10 to 12, maybe? 
I would say, yeah, in a 10 to 13-ish kind of range, yeah. you know. Um, what is interesting about the film, and I think a lot of Fulci's films are like this, he's not one of those guys that really employed a lot of widescreen kind of epic feel. His films kind of felt 4-3. Not, not, I don't mean that in a bad way, just kind of a, uh, a layman's technical observation of, of a lot of his films. Um, you know, I think uh, maybe, was it Duckling or Legend of Woman's Skin? It feels a bit wider scope, but... It's, it, there's not a lot of those great kind of spaghetti western shots we expect. I mean, there's some great landscape, but it's not like those really long widescreen shots that we get from a lot of spaghetti westerns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I didn't comment earlier when you talked about how well it's competently shot and stuff. That's one thing about Fulci, nobody can ever take away, is that he was uh, his films always somehow, some way, no matter how cheap, how sleazy the subject matter or whatever, they always look good. They do look pretty good usually. Uh, I think there's some films that I think they're they're pretty clumsily shot. And like I said, I've always um, criticized his um, his lack of detail when it comes to scores, scoring his films. A lot of times the scores for his films are dreadful, but this this one's in line with what it should be. Uh, there's a great dagger throw in this, which I won't get into too much. Um, the last line I have is there's a really probably the cutest reveal <laughs> I've seen in recent memory at the end of the film and. It's definitely the cutest ending in the history of Spaghetti Westerns, and it involves a miniature horse. Yeah. A, Shet <laughs> a Shetland pony, so to speak. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally didn't see that coming. I had never seen this film before, but yeah, that was one of those moments where it was like, it was right on the borderline of you got to be kidding, and all oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> exactly. You, you don't believe your eyes, but you're kind of like, you can't help the human nature. It's like, it's a Shetland pony. It's you know, it's cute. Yeah, and the kid's cute, and then, but it, it, the real realist in me came to the conclusion really quickly. Like I told you off the air, at one point you see them kind of riding together, and you see that Shetland pony really struggling. I'm sitting there thinking that pony, like, you're not really made for riding, and that kid's a little too big to be on that pony. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the pony's starting to struggle a little bit. <laughs> trying to keep up with the, the big old horse there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's all your notes. Yes. All right, I'll try to get through mine. Got a grumpy child who doesn't want to take a nap this morning. Is giving me the eyeball. Uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. I like the simple setup of the film. It's it's very set up. It's it's the intros. I mean, there's nothing in this that's very complicated, and uh, I really kind of like that. Uh, Jeffrey Lewis is really great in the movie. Uh, again, another simple performance of Jeffrey Lewis, but he always brings. He is one of those actors who definitely is the definition of a character actor. He really brings like that little special something to anything he's in. Like he adds a little depth to any film. And I think with this one you kind of have to because Jimma, as good as Jimma is in some things, he's also he can also be like Captain Bland sometimes. Oh, very much so, yeah. So it's kind of good to have uh, him in there. And this is actually the first time Jimma's been on the show. I mean, he was in Tenebrae. I remember he was in that. So I'm trying to remember who he was in. Tenebrae. He was one of the detectives in Tenebrae. But again, he's so oh, wow. he's so vanilla that yeah, he is very you know vanilla. you'll overlook him. You'll say, oh, this is that's just another actor in the background they used. No big deal. He, he is perfectly cast for for the vanilla hero because this is a vanilla film. Yes, yes, very much so, very much so. Uh, I talked about how he looked like uh, Hilton a little bit. Uh, all right, man, all right, buddy. Take it easy, bub. <laughs> and he can't, he, it's like, you know, he gets so frustrated in the mornings. And it's like, you know, it's one of those, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. He's tired, but he will not admit to his, his uh, tiredness right now. He won't give in to it, I know. Yeah, he will I not know. give in to the fatigue, man. He's just angry at it. And, of course, that comes out as pissed off at me. Uh <laughs> Of course. Uh, I, I, I think, yeah, like I said, it's slightly violent maybe for a kid's movie, so I don't want to recommend it for everybody, but I think it's it's pretty fun. I mean, I, obviously my grandfather was a big Western fan. He would have liked this film. He didn't really pursue Italian Westerns, but I mean, he knew the big hitters, but he didn't know any of the, and neither did I. I was very young, so uh, I found that uh, 
he would I'm thinking about him in a nostalgic way I think he would have loved this film like if he was still around and everything I would have showed this to him he would have loved this thing because it was a very simple story uh, very well paced and uh, it was good I mean it's just that's really the best way to talk about it um, I did talk about Fulci always seemed kind of more sure handed with some of his other stuff a little bit confident and at the horror you know he always felt like he was trying to you know he's kind of trying to shock you a little bit or trying to because you know his gore is always what he's known for right I mean that's what he's known for is the fact that his movies can be a little nasty uh, kind of overly gory. Even uh, some like a gunshot in some of his later films could be, you know, pretty gory stuff. Very juicy, so to speak. Oh yeah. And even in Conquest, I mean, there was some gore in Conquest and some pretty craziness. Pretty craziness in that. So pretty craziness. I don't even know what the fuck that is. But anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, they do love using that theme. You talked about it. There's like two themes in here. There's the bad guy theme with the harmonica, very reminiscent of like a, a Once Upon a Time in the West. And then there's the main theme, and they just kind of do derivatives of those themes over and over and over again. So. Can get a little obnoxious sometimes, but if you like the song and the vibe of the song, this kid man, he's punching the bottle away from his face, and in the process, he's putting milk all over his face. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, and he's Poor getting guy. mad. At, he's getting mad at me. It's like you know, it's, like, it's your fault. I'm like, quit hitting the bottle, you know? Yeah, I know. It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> Drive me crazy. Dad's gonna start hitting the bottle if you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> um. This one here's the one of the things I thought was interesting. I know Fulci almost always worked with low budgets. But this one, because of the way the production value works and everything, it almost feels more expensive than a lot of Fulci movies. Yeah. And that was really one of the things I was kind of uh, drawn to. I was really surprised that like, it just really felt like it's very small scale, but it almost feels like an epic in some ways. Well, yeah. I think there's – yeah, because it hits all the, the – there's no point when I feel like, oh, they really chinsed on that. Yeah. It feels even bigger in some ways than like Massacre Time did, which was – you know, pretty simple. We covered that one. I guess this is the first Fulci. This is our second Fulci, actually, technically, because Massacre Time, we did that. So, I, You know, it's funny. I thought this was our second one, but I assumed you were right because it was a spaghetti western. <laughs> yeah. So we've done two out of the three Fulci westerns. We only have one more to do, and we'll have his whole western trilogy. That's very funny that out of all the Fulci films he's known for, we've, we've pursued, and not actively, we're not doing it to be different, but we, the ones we've gotten on the show have been his um, his westerns. Yes. that's very. It's very strange. Uh, very weird. If it wasn't for a computer malfunction, there'd have been a fantasy film in there. Uh, yeah. yeah, I have to agree with you on the shootouts and things. Uh, very well done. I really liked the one with the banditos oh, and, yeah. and Roy and them. I thought it was really great with the carbide and stuff. That was really well done. Uh, there was one explosion where I thought, wow, some somebody might have got hurt in that one because they were awful close to it. <laughs> yep. But, you know, that's Italian cinema back in those days. Uh, I think that the one thing I will say, though, I th- I think that people who are curious about this movie and are going to spend the money and time to pursue it i think either one you have to be a fulci completist or two you have to be a pure western fan i think if you're just kind of a western fan and you're not really you don't really love them but you'll check them out occasionally i, I don't know if you really will like this much because it is very standard i don't know if yeah, it's going well, to offer you yeah. anything new unless you're just curious about fulci and westerns or if you want to maybe pursue a slighter western, just something that's very you know very much by the numbers but enjoyable. This this is this falls into that category of, of enjoyable Saturday afternoon films. I think. Oh, very much so. It's very much like a Saturday matinee type you know pleasant little film mm-hmm. with gunshots in it and whores and and hanging hung priests. <laughs> yes, it just sounds so bizarre to say that, but you really got to see the film to know what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I have to say that you know for Fulci completists, I think it would definitely be something to check out because I think you see. That Fulci was more than just you know zombies and sharks. He was more than that. So. <laughs> well, that's I think that's absolutely it. To see it from the perspective of Fulci completist is so different from everything else he did. 
Right, right. Uh, but that's really all my notes on it. Let's go ahead and get your uh, scores and make or breaks and stuff. Okay, make or break. The, what made it for me, again, was the action and how well it was shot. Like I said, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it's very clean, very concise. You understand what's going on, um, so I'd have to... Uh, ooh. I got. I got to send you this. Uh, okay. Very clean. Very concise. I really dug it. Um, in that respect, MVT was uh, Lewis and Gemma's relationship. You know, I'm, I have a soft spot for Jeffrey Lewis. I know you do. I like that. I always like the dynamic of the buddies in a, in a western. It's, uh, you know, and it's done pretty well in this. I, I got to be honest. I this film is very level across the board for me. There's nothing I think astoundingly good in it, and there's nothing terribly bad in it. So I got to yeah. be honest. To pick a make or break or an MVT was a little bit difficult for me. I know, I know, I understand that. I had the same uh, problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, my score for the film is a six point two five out of ten. Okay. Like I said, I think this is a solid film. I, I could, I would definitely watch it again. Um, I think it would be one of the first westerns I show my boys because it is, uh, you know, pretty slight and fairly safe. Mm-hmm. Um, you and, know. I, and I think that they'll identify uh, young boy, especially. I think I'll identify with the little boy a little bit. Yeah, because uh, you can. The film, in some ways, is kind of told from the perspective of not only Roy Blood, our lead character, which I love his last name, but also, uh, you know, kind of it kind of shifts with the boy, and then of course Jeffrey Lewis is there for some comic relief, which young and it's very, it's very broad comic relief, so kids will probably get into that too. So, I think oh, bo- yeah. boys are going like, yeah, I will show it to mine too when he gets old enough. I would, I'll show it to him too. Oh, okay, I got something sent to me. Uh, okay, is that everything? That sound is fitting when you see the two. Uh, that's it. That's all. All right. Uh, all right. So let's see here. Let me, let me click on that link and click on that. Okay. We're saving those. Um, all right. So my make or break. I'm going to go with the shootout with the bandits. I thought it was really well done. He used. He had a great sense of space in that. Uh, the way he set up the – I was never lost in that shootout. With an incompetent director – Shootouts are always the first thing in westerns that fall apart because they really don't know where the you know the the bad guys are, where the good guys are. They just shoot people falling off of roofs and things like that. All the standards you get in westerns, but this one you totally feel when they move, you feel the movement and everything else. So that that really goes with Fulci and just his you know cinematic uh, talent, which you know again I'll say it he he did have talent, inconsistent talent, but talent nonetheless. Uh, my MVT, I'm going to go with Fulci on this one. I really like that he would step away from stuff he was known for to do stuff like this. I wish he would have done it more toward the back end of his career. seems like in the 80s he pretty much stayed where he was liked, you know? Yep. Except for some weird oddities like uh, Murder Rock and things like those, which we might cover <laughs> on the show at some point just because it's so damn bizarre. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he seems like he kind of just kind of never went back. Of course, you know, the Western died in Italy, so that might be another reason why he never went back. I wish he would have made more of these, though. I wish I like Massacre Time. I like this one. And I like the uh, the other one, too, which we might speak about. For the Apocalypse, yeah. which I own. Yeah, so. Uh, my score for the film, it's a little higher than yours. And I think maybe that might come from the fact that I just love Western so much. It's a 7 out of 10. It is very slight in a lot of ways, very saccharine in other ways and stuff. But I had fun with it, you know. Uh, I like Lewis and Gemma like you did. I like them together. Uh, the boy was obnoxious, but again, it wasn't the acting of the boy or the actual boy itself. It was just the dubbing. Uh, I could say the same thing about Jeffrey Lewis's uh, dubbing. It was obnoxious, too, because I know how Jeffrey Lewis talks. He's got a he's got a unique delivery, and that's the only reason why I wish he wasn't dubbed, because he has this... Jeffrey Lewis has a way of delivering lines that like no other actor uh, that I can think of. I mean, he, he's very eccentric in the way he delivers his lines. So, even... All the way up to like the Devil's Rejects and stuff. He's still very eccentric in a lot of ways. So I, I love the guy, great actor. Uh, so I give it a seven out of ten. So I had fun with it. Good stuff, man. 
so you know we recommend people check it out and that uh, special edition that uh, Martin sent us is a very nice case very nice setup very nice coll- added added very nice piece added to my collection so to speak yes it's the only turquoise DVD I have in my rack now you would think turquoise wouldn't work as a DVD cover color, but it does. Yes, it does. It's nice. All right, so we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Amir. So we'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <laughs> yes, yes, but, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. <laughs> Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's Palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. tell you that in my image in my head i know this has nothing to do with the song or anything but i have this crazy image of uh, a dancing young henry silva shaking and breaking and whistling that tune <laughs> in trench coat pipe in the hand yes bullshit or not <laughs> yes. nice yes <laughs> look motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> clean, clean my, my shoes <laughs> yeah clean my pipe there we go Ooh, that sounds pornographic and yet uh, if you've seen the silva smoking the pipe it's pretty outstanding <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, i always forget about the pipe one of us always bring up the pipe and it always just puts a chuckle and a smile on my face and that and that sherlock holmes hat that went with it <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh man anyway all right, so our next film is Amir from uh, 2010, or roughly 2009, 2010. It's a circuit, festival circuit film. A lot of buzz going on about this. Uh, we really wanted to see it. We finally got a chance. Uh, we got our, our region-free DVD players rolling, and uh, there we go. So I'm going to let you synopsize, and I'll crack into Amir. Yes, uh, so Emmer means bitter in French, uh, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, this is a Belgian film. Um, now it's directed by Helene Catet and Bruno Forzani. I believe they're a couple. They've done a few short films together. This was easily one of the most anticipated films for me since I'd seen any footage from it whatsoever. Uh, very much uh, influenced by uh, Jalos. Um And yeah, I picked this. I'd, I sent you a text saying... This will be an interesting review because this may be a very divisive film. So I picked it. I'm very keen to hear what you think. All right. Uh, yeah, you sent me that text, and I just started watching it when you sent me that text. So I was like, okay, well, I'm really excited now. And uh, Okay, so we've been having, having curious about this one for a while. I know uh, Ian and uh, Jordan over at uh, 35mm uh, Heroes got a mouthful of whatever there. Uh, Corncob pipe. Not a I was going to say. <laughs> I like the corncob. I'm very much Popeye. Yeah, you know, yes. I like to spin it. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we have been waiting to see this for quite some time, so it was really exciting when we, you know, checked the post, and that's what we got. So, And like any uh, good homage to Italian Giallo, there's a fascination with eyes and a ton of style right from the beginning of this film. It screams. It's going to scream style over substance, right? I mean, it really does scream that. And, of course, that can sometimes be a deterrent for me, sometimes. Uh, but it really depends on the talent of the filmmaker in that case. Uh, not always not always the actual fact. I mean, I, I do like Wong Kar Wai and stuff like that, and he's very much style over substance sometimes and stuff. And I know some people, you know, just can't stand him. So, But, but you know, those, those kind of filmmakers are divisive like that, right? So... Uh, I was kind of worried. I'm not going to lie to you, I, you know. But it, but the good thing is, is this one starts very, very. It's got a very stout, very strong first twenty thirty minutes. It does, and I think the first thing we should say. Well, I guess not technically the first thing, but what we should say up front here is very clearly. If it's not obvious enough in our review, let's get this out there right now. This film is absolutely not for everyone. You're either going to love this film or you're going to fucking hate it. Yeah, this is the definition of an art film. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, and I think some people are going to be terribly turned off by this to the point to where, if we if we recommend it, once we get to the end of the review, some people are probably going to get angry that we recommended it because they're probably really not going to dig it. I mean, but hey, you know, if it, I think as an, an, a film enthusiast, and most of the people that listen to podcasts are enthusiasts first and foremost, I think that uh, anybody that's curious is definitely going to check it out either way. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. And if you do love it, you do love it. I mean, there's really no ifs ands or buts about it. Uh. I have always personally loved the peeking through keyholes technique. Uh, unfortunately, you know a lot of your newer houses and stuff, a lot of your newer locks on your doors and stuff doesn't offer this. Uh, maybe because people were peeping through keyholes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I've always loved that technique. It looks so great. I'm a big fan of eyeballs in horror films. I told you before, I think I've said to you before, nothing freaks me out more than the idea of like, you know, being in a, like I'm in my, if let's say I'm in one of my rooms in my house, it's light inside the house, it's dark outside, but then I decide to look outside and like a face would be looking right at me. That kind of stuff like really skeeves me out to no end. It really puts chills on me, you know, to know I'm being watched and stuff. But this one's kind of interesting because, you know, the, the part, people know they're being watched in the film and stuff and there's the nice breathing technique, and there's a lot of there's a lot of influence from all the all the big hitters here. I see a lot of Argento, a lot of Martino, a lot of Bava, and even to so to speak. I know I went all Italian there, but I'm going to this one. I'm sure you'll agree with me. This is an American Italian. A lot of De Palma in there too. A lot of De Palma. There's a dash of Kenneth Anger. Oh yeah, yeah, the Anger. Yeah, we talked about that off the air. Mm-hmm. Yep, there's a dash of that in there, and uh, by saying that, you know that, that that can kind of give you an idea. This film can be very, in some ways, it can be very avant-garde and subversive. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, if that's not your cup of tea, you might want to steer clear because <laughs> it yeah. could frustrate you. Um, this really great stuff. Uh, the body in the casket stuff. That really, that, the makeup and stuff. I don't know if you got this vibe. I know you're a big fan of the film, but it really reminded me of like the old man in T- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, very much so. And you know what was great about the makeup? And, you know, that I got to say, man, that opening bit, and I'll probably talk about it more with my end, but it felt almost like a Guillermo del Toro, del Toro kind of like uh, kids' film. Like that kids' film, but like, uh, you know how Pan's Labyrinth was with the girl, little girl's essential figure? Yeah. It yeah. kind of felt like that a little bit. And when you get that old man, you kind of get the sense of where she's coming from. Where it's like creepier. Like when you're a kid, things that shouldn't necessarily be creepy are a lot creepier than they are, but this, I guess, should be creepy. There's, like, this, the, the dead grandfather. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, well, I'm, I'm assuming, 
its grandfather, of course. Um, but that makeup, and then you know what was great too was the fingernails, like how gross and old they looked. <laughs> oh, they were terrible. I had this thought. I was like, oh man, so those fingernails are going to break. But it wasn't the fingernail that broke. <laughs> no, <laughs> the whole the whole damn finger. Yeah. <laughs> Totally, man. No, but I totally agree with you, man. It does have that Del Toro dark child fantasy feel. As a matter of fact, I would say the first um, 20, 30 minutes of this film, man, this kid is really, he's reaching that age where he's wiry and he's oh, getting yeah. strong, man. And he can be, it's like wrestling a fucking mongoose. I feel yeah, like the snake, Trying man. to grab a, a hold of like a greased pig, man. They're, they're just, you got to hang on tight. Oh, yeah. And then we lotion him up like after a bath and everything, man. And I got to put clothes on him. Fucking forget oh. about it, man. I look, it's shambles. I look like a moron. Oh, yeah. No, I hear you, man. I've been there. That's why it's like we got to do it right in the middle of the queen size because if I don't. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> now, he, now he's got my headphones in his hand. And he's trying to pull them off. Yes, <laughs> we have reached that age of adventurous uh, attitudes and, and stuff. So you might hear my headphones fly off. You might hear me go, oh, God. And I've already hit my head on the mic twice this morning. Um, okay. So I do think that the first 20, 30 minutes of the film could be viewed, uh, oddly enough, like a like a dark fantasy child's film, and also, really outside of the sexuality and the subversiveness of the sexuality in the film, kind of the like most giallo type films, you know, there's always that little bit of uh, subversive sexuality and stuff that's adult in tone. If that stuff wasn't in here, obviously, and obviously it kind of has to be because it's kind of an homage to the giallo genre and stuff. I mean, you're talking about a film that really in some ways is not those first 30 minutes are like not really a bad horror film for like a kid to see. I think it would mess them up. Uh, maybe just in, in storytelling technique, it would definitely make your child an interesting, an interesting child because they would see a different type of storytelling technique, I think. Uh, but I, I don't think, I don't think those first 20, 30 minutes are too harsh. Do you, do you think they were? They're, they're, I don't think they're too harsh, but the atmosphere of them, I think it would be a little bit scary for a child to watch. Yeah. I, I don't think there's anything unsavory, uh, beyond something near the end when the colors really start to pop in that scene, but oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that section that that part clearly is is very sensual, very sexual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're right, you're right about that. Part. Overt, really. But I think beyond that, um, there's nothing unsavory that a kid couldn't see. But it would be a little scary, I think, because it is very atmospheric in this film. It's absolutely all about atmosphere and feeling and mood. Yeah, you're right. It would be intense. I remember I saw The Shining, which, by the way, I've mentioned is my Christmas movie. <laughs> And uh, uh, I remember when I saw that when I was a young child, and the one thing that always scared me about The Shining is the atmosphere. It's not that the film is one of the, well, for some people it might be, one of the scariest films ever made. It's that something there's something uneasy about The Shining really from the get-go. And uh, that mood, you know, only master filmmakers can, can set tone like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, you just get a feeling like immediately you're going to be in for something. He is kicking like like you would not believe, man. It's like a tickle me Elmo doll. <laughs> All right, I'm looking for a pacifier again. Here we go. You're kicking my ass, boy. <laughs> All right, uh, back. Let's see how long this lasts this time. Uh, but yeah, no, I really, I really like that. Uh, it's just it's good stuff. Uh, really, it focuses a lot on eyes. I mean, a lot. I mean, it it really focuses a lot on that stuff, and I found that pretty fascinating. And the way they do it. And this is really great in a way. I don't know how much the film costs, but this is really great low-budget filmmaking in a way. Uh, they, they use their, their surroundings well, and you know they do what they got to do with it. And I sound like I'm not knowing what I'm talking about, but that's because I got a, a worm in my hands here. Uh, <laughs> Whoa, wait a <laughs> Well, not that worm. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Uh, 
but you know, it, it seems like it was really cheaply done. And uh, by that, I don't mean it doesn't look good. It looks great, but I mean, it's very impressive. It's kind of like you know, when we talk about like Gaspar Noé and how much Enter the Void costs. I mean, it looks like a hundred and twenty million dollar movie, and it only costs twelve million dollars to make. Uh, sometimes talent goes a long way, and in this case, it's definitely the case. I mean, the use of color. Uh, it's obvious that these filmmakers know Giallo really, really well because there's very much a lot of inside stuff here. That if you're a fan of that genre, you see a lot more stuff than like somebody who's not a fan of that genre would see. Uh, oh yeah, you can see a lot of it. Uh, it's an exercise in style. So, like I said before, I sometimes have issues with that, but this the success really hangs on this one for me by the fact that they chose a genre and they stayed in a genre. Okay, mm-hmm. by exercising in this style and staying in the giallo genre, that makes this a much better film than I would typically like. Usually when something's an exercise in style, it's because somebody's decided... Like, I had some problems with Su because the filmmaker decided to throw this, everything in the kitchen sink at it. I like it. I didn't love it. Uh, but this one, I like more because they stayed within the confines of the genre they were in with their style. Yeah. And I think that was a wise choice, a very wise choice, uh, the way they did that. And I, I have to say, some of the scenes where the camera's shaking and stuff, there's one scene where two people are running after a soccer ball. It felt, oh, very, yeah. it felt very subversive sexually. Did you get that? The whole film, it's, it's, it's weird because this film is very overtly sexual, and at the same time, there's a lot of subversiveness in terms of um, the sexualization of things that maybe aren't normally sexual. Mm-hmm. It, it's a sexual film, top to bottom, and a yes. very sensual film. Yes, totally. Totally, yeah, very much so. Uh, that goes into my next note. Uh, there will forever be something sexy about almost seeing up a girl's skirt. Oh, this film, time and time again, it is obsessed with between a woman's legs. Yes. Uh, there are so many. I'll tell you, listen, I admire the, the female form <laughs> yes. immensely. And there are so many shots in this film. This is the sexiest film I've seen in a long time, man. Because it's, it's kind of got this timeless thing where it, it's, it is 70s. Yes. But there's also times when it's it's very modern, uh-huh. um, and yeah, like that. There's that. Oh man, I'll talk about these shots a few times. But the one where she's wearing a blue cotton dress, and it's it's light lighter cotton, and there's a shot where the sun's beaming through between her legs, like the soft sun. It's just all these shots of like you get of between a woman's leg. It just it sounds more perverted. It's very stylish. It's not you know piggish. No, no, it's. It's it's an innocent sexual. It's more of a sexual curiosity mm-hmm. than a sexual deviancy. I would say a burgeoning and, sexual curiosity early yes, on. Of course, yeah. that's that's more what it, that's more what it's leaning towards. And by that, it's very sexual, very very erotic, uh, without being actually very uh, uh, abrasive. I mean, there's only there's this, only a slim amount of nudity in the film. Mm-hmm. I really, I think there's only is there really only like a couple moments of nudity. I think so, yeah. I think there really are. And it's very brief, and it's not like it's overt. It's very, it's more about the body, not about the body parts. You know, you know what this film is? This film, here, here's, I was saying this to Uncool Cat off the air. I think this film, um, and I, I don't think it's, it's a coincidence, this film was directed by a male-female duo. And if I'm going to typify and paint with a broad brush here, a lot of times with Jali and, and Slashers, it's about the penetration, the penetration, the penetration. Whereas this film is... And that, that, I think that's kind of um, uh, a comment. I think that, or not a comment, but I think that's really in line with the male, um, uh, the preferred male form of sex. Right, right. Cut to it, fuck the hole, get out. Right. And that's it. Whereas with females, it's about the foreplay and the build up and the teasing and the anticipation. And that is this film. 
Oh yeah, yeah. This film is a total. It's a total tease. Mm-hmm. Uh, for what is it? Eighty six minutes? I said eighty four minutes, something like that. Yep. It's a to- It's a, there's a lot of teasing, and uh, it's very much like a sexual act. Uh, it's again, I'll say that it's not for everybody. Uh, the it's 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 more it's it's a sound image type thing. It's 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 a pure film enthusiast, a pure cinema film enthusiast type thing. If you're into that kind of thing, I think you'll really like it. Like Will said, if you like Kenneth Anger films, stuff like that. Uh, Argento, you know, Bava, those types. I mean, there might be some more story involved in some of those, Martino and Bava especially. But, you know, if you like Argento stuff, you'll probably dig this. We'll see. We're, it might be an explosion. Hang on here. <laughs> the chief, man, not giving me the thumbs up this morning. All right. Uh, I, I only got one more note because I'm going to have to cut mine a little bit short. But I, I want to say that, you know, I, I'm going to recommend this, obviously. I like the film a lot. But I'm gonna. My warning to people who listen to me uh, as a film critic is: let me just tell you, if you're not a film buff or film enthusiast, I don't know if you're really going to be interested in this thing. And no, I, you won't be. And by that, I mean you got to be. I'm talking about a film buff. I'm talking about somebody that pursues everything and loves everything cinematically. And uh, I think that. Oh man, I'm reaching for something there. <laughs> And as you can tell by my voice, that's that's my bad back coming through on 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 air there. Uh, you can tell that, uh, but uh, yeah, I have to warn people. I mean, I think it's really a film buff, a film enthusiast type film. I think people that are curious will dig it, but again, I think it's going to be a fifty fifty split between most of our listeners. I really do. So, although I do think I I I don't want anyone to think. Please don't misunderstand. I think that we're saying. If you don't get it, you're not a serious film fan. Of course, oh, you, you no, can no, no, certainly no. be a serious film fan, uh, but I think this will appeal to a certain kind of serious film. Yes, yes. No, I would never say that. I mean, I yeah. think I think everything is apples and oranges, or as you say, chocolate and vanilla. I think some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. Some people might feel indifferent to it. But either way, I just think that some people that's it's a film. It's 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 for me. It's just definitely a film buffs movie. I could say the same thing about uh, Wong Kar Wai films. I think that's a film buff filmmaker. Uh, I know you're a big fan of him. I just I think he's one he's, of my favorite filmmakers. I, but but I, I'll have to say I think that as great as he is, I think he's not always easily accessible for people. Absolutely, that's absolutely correct. So I think that's what that's where I'm kind of go with this probably pretty much. So uh, okay, so that's all my notes. I'll let you go ahead and tear through some, and I'll try to comment in between here. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, now I do want to say another thing I'd said to Chris off the air was I think two things that you have to ask yourself: what do you consider film? Because I think that is a very important question when you talk about films like this. Film, to me, is art. It's a very malleable, subjective, emotional, and intellectual, and a lot of other things that kind of factor in uh, in terms of what it pushes for you. Um, furthermore, I think you have to have an admiration for uh, aesthetics. And I think you... And again, not to say if you don't like this film that you don't like those things. I'm not saying that. But I think for me... The reason I like it is because I look at a very broad canvas, be, canvas being film, and that um, there's a lot of room for things like this, things like Jodorowsky, things like No Way, um, things like Kenneth Anger. Thing, uh, uh, there's so much room for film. Film is a young art that still uh, is a wide umbrella that a lot can fit under. Yeah, and let's let's say for the listener's sake, I would say that the only way. Will and I really probably differ sometimes cinematically is I, I know you're sometimes a bigger fan of style than I am. And you're a bigger fan of substance sometimes. Than yes. I am. And I think that's that's you know, that's just the way that goes. I mean, I think that's that that's what makes our show interesting, probably. Oh, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I knew when he texted me, I knew that I was like, 
okay, this is going to be, I, I knew immediately because I've known you now for a while. I was like, okay, this is a stylish film. I can tell immediately that this is what this is going to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I knew your, uh, I knew your opinion. Of, by, ten, by the time 10 minutes went by, I already knew where your review was going to go, but I'm still excited to hear it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, you talk about the De Palma stuff with like that sliding split screen stuff and the slides and the eyes and, and that incredible, I can't remember the theme because a lot of the, the music in these films is all called from Jali. And I know the one because it's in my top three or four favorite Jali and that's when she's walking up the stairs or she's walking towards the gate and they, they're playing Black Belly of the Tarantula music. Um, a few of the other ones I couldn't, I knew them, but I couldn't quite pin them. Uh, I'm sure some of our astute listeners will, um, yeah, Sammy, you talked about it with the extreme close-ups. And I know I'm muted because you're dealing with a very moody child right now. So I'll just keep rolling with it. Uh, extreme close-ups of eyes over and over. And it's kind of become this, this, you know, one thing I love about this film is I talked about this overt as well as subversive sexuality of the film. And sensuality is that everything is almost, everything in this film is fetishized uh, and lingers through the camera. Um you know the, the thing though that we we talked about. I think we talked about this a little bit, but I'll say this again: fetishized in a healthy sexual way. Yes, I don't think there's yes. anything. I don't think there's anything. Maybe other than the fact that maybe at one point, maybe one of the people that are being fetishized may be a little younger than they should be. But and again, I think it's it's healthy sexual fetishism, which I believe does exist. For those who believe it doesn't, I believe it does exist. Oh, certainly, it's it's ingrained in our nature. I mean, there's no way to get around that. Um. The film's very tactile, I think, which again kind of ties into what the film all that you feel things. There's the, the panting, and you almost you can almost taste the sweat, or like the moisture on these women's faces, and you know it's it's uh, that may sound gross to some, and I'm not saying I'm a sweat fetishist. I'm certainly not, but again, it's a very erotically charged film. The film's very tactile from the wallpaper to everything is about touch, and, and that's sexuality is about touch. Certainly, yeah. sweat is very important in this movie. It is. Um, I haven't seen a single man yet, the the Tom Ford film, but I, I know Tom Ford through some of his fashion work, and I know what the um, the criticism, good and bad, was towards a single man. But I have to say that the visual sense of this film, if Tom Ford grew up loving Gialli, I feel like this would be the film he would make. Very meticulously framed, immaculately framed uh, production design, everything else spot on you know i have to say there's one more director i forgot to mention in here as far as influence and that would be sergio leone because there is extreme close-ups of the face in this film oh yeah oh yeah absolutely um and this film really is i think about immersion as well immersing the viewer and immersion of the central characters they're so lost in their hypnotized uh, lustful state that everything else it's, it's almost like when you hear that muffled sound around you because you're so in in just lost in in the moment, and that comes through in the sound design and everything. You know, the visual is great in this, but also the sounds really turned off and heightened. Like with the episode with the little girl, and it should be said that each of the three segments I think could be watched standalone, uh, or they can be watched together to create, I guess, a, a common theme. But right, um, right, everything from the heightened wood creaking to that meat. Remember that early on in the movie, the meat in that bowl and that kind of that noise it was making as it was getting. Stirred. Yeah, it looked. That was a disgusting looking entree, by the way. Yeah, it certainly was. And then you get the chain on the pocket watch and the fingernails and everything else, just kind of really turned up, ramped up, and elevated here. Um, and I think really what this film is for me is is it it's a jolly in terms of theme and mood and element. It's not a jolly in terms of it's a murder mystery. It's not really that. You get some shades of that at the the back end of the film, but 
it's just more about the feeling of Jali, distilled and crystallized in its purest form. That's what I think this film is. Yeah, I totally um, agree with that sentiment, by the way. Uh, it's not about the mystery, it's about the style. That's right. That's right. And I think another thing about this film really is the perception. Perception is a huge thing in Jali, specifically Argento. When you look at a lot of his characters in films, the central characters are always trying to negotiate internally and mentally uh, what was reality and what they perceived to be reality. You get that a lot in, I think, Crystal Plumage, Deep Red, uh, a few of his other films. It really comes through strong, and it comes through in this film as well, certainly. Um, and I think one of the great things about the setup with the eyes so much is that when it's on that old man, like the dead body, um, I'm hoping you can, okay, you can still hear me. That's good. Uh, you can still hear me though, right? You literally did have to step away. Uh, I hope everyone can still hear this because uh, I'll be heartbroken if these notes don't come through. Um, but the setup is so fantastic because you're waiting, like, because like I said, the film keeps focusing on eyeballs, 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 and to the point where it's the focus on this dead body. And as a horror fan, and because they've set this up for you, you're waiting for those eyes to spring open and kind of just startle you and startle the little girl. Um, now, I think, like I said, the film does really look timeless. It, it looks slightly 70s, slightly 60s, um, but then again, very modern at the same time, which I think is a testament to the filmmaker. They're not slavishly devoted to uh, to the time. Uh, I think there's, you know, this film is very well shot, as you're going to hear me talk about. Uh, everything, I think, is very meticulous. It's very much a passion project from two very talented people. Um, you get an incredible uh, shot when it's almost like the, the young girl has an epiphany because she stumbles on to what we believe to be her parents' um, her parents are having sex and you get the shot of the, the girl's face and it, it becomes a mirror and the mirror shatters and you see the mother and father having sex and it, it's not, I mean, it's sensual again without being overly perverse like you see penetration and all this nonsense. Uh, but you see the colors just explode. It's like this, this light went on, this green, this red, this blue, this purple just drowns the screen uh, and you can see that the, the reality that the central character knows has been forever altered. Um, the second segment starts for the film, and I gotta say, God bless uh, Kate and Frozani because they seem to love gap tooth women as much as I love gap tooth women. And the girl is, a, I guess, a late teenager. I would say she's probably between 18 and 22, is absolutely gorgeous. Right, absolutely. right. I agree, I agree with you on that. They. I had to come back in on that. I'm sorry, but I had to step away for a second to prep something. Uh, yes. But, uh, uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. They do have a fascination with that uh, that gap tooth. I, and I know I was thinking of you immediately when I saw her. Oh, buddy. I mean, she is just – how old would you say she is? I hope I'm not I, – I, to me, look, she would look about 18 to 22 in there, no? Yeah, I'd say she's. she might even be older than that, but she totally pulls off the 18 to 22 range. I'll, I'll tell you, you know – she was just, and I think it's also the film sets up because the film is very you're entrenched in the sensuality. But I was immediately Googling this girl, like, oh my God, I got to see her in something else because she is just breathtaking. I mean, just breathtaking for me. Um, the, and there's a great shot, and I wish they'd have lingered on it because the film's very beautiful. But there's the shot when it, it's been inside that old house. And you know what this film reminds me of, too, man, is it reminds me very much of the Spanish horror at times. Like, I recently watched that, that, uh, that kind of gothic-y kind of um, giallo La Residencia um, that took place in a girls' boarding school. And I kind of get that feel with the, the, the whole Guillermo del Toro stuff early on. 
And then the second segment, because it's like this coastal town they live in, it kind of reminded me of Who Can Kill a Child, like Serador's Who Can Kill a Child. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In terms of the setting. And the sunlight comes through. You remember that shot when it's got the girl? It's just like the, her calves downward. And you can see the trim yes. of her dress. Yes. It's a fucking beautiful shot, man. Like, you hear the term sun-kissed. And this, like, her legs are just sun-kissed. They're glistening in the sun. And the sun is just illuminating and glistening everything on the screen. And it's just such an unbelievable shot that they just they got off it too quickly, uh, which was unfortunate. Um, we were about 35 minutes into the film at this point, And there's only about 10 lines in the I think there's only about 15 or 20 lines in the whole film. So this, this isn't... Uh, you know, this isn't a dialogue-heavy film, certainly. Um, you know, because these people are very talented. Clearly, art—they they love art. Uh, a lot of different visual techniques: blurring, overexposure of the film. Uh, they use some, you know, like some gel, uh, like uh, filters in the lenses and stuff. Um, a lot of st- a lot of different techniques are employed in this film, certainly as well. And it never feels to me like first-time filmmaker as much as an exercise in style. Yeah, totally. Sorry about that. I had to turn down for a second. <laughs> That's okay. I totally get you. I'll tell you what. I'm I'm going to just keep running then until you cut in with something that you want to add. Sounds good. I don't, I don't want to have you kind of straining back and forth. We get the return of the aviators, of course. And again, this is when I start to feel like a very much a Kenneth Anger. I've only seen, I think, one or two things by Anger. But uh, very much it feels like uh, Scorpio Rising. Uh, the, the fetishization of that the, the leather and the aviators and the masculinity of biker culture and the sexuality of it uh, very much so in this sequence. There's a fantastic sequence with a taxi and everything else. Um, it's really, really well done. Um, and again, it has to be influenced by him, but certainly um, let me, we're kind of getting stop motion and hair and this rhythmic shrieking and stuff. And again, they're just pulling all the stomps here with style. Um, and of course, it ties in with the whole anger biker thing, but also with the overall theme, which is the Jali, which is, of course, the black leather gloves. And, you know, I love when we get those on the screen. And I love that the sound design, they constantly get that. It was very prevalent in cruising. And that's that sound, that leather crinkling together. Um, it's great in this film. And it almost becomes Pavlovian because you're associating all these things with sexuality at this point. Uh, so, yeah, the music from Black Blade, the trench that kicks in, and it's got the breathy girl. I think her name's Stella Dorso. I can't remember. Anymore, Coney did the music. It reminds me why I love the genre so much. I just, you know, uh, I think, you know, we we had said, and I think it was a fair thing to say, that this, that this genre will never return. But you get people like this that know that, that really love the genre and have the skill to, to bring back at least the spirit of it or the, the things that make the genre what it is. Um, Kind of heightens all the fetishistic elements of the genre to to, like I said, to a, their purest form. Really, because uh, I just really enjoy it. Okay, I talked about that stuff already. Oh, there's a bathtub. A scene with a bathtub that's really well done, where a girl's lying in a bathtub. There's no water in, it, and the water starts again slowly. It starts to trickle between her legs until the bathtub fills up. Just that constant association or fixation on, you know, between a woman's legs, what goes on. And like I said, it's not in an artful, if sensual way. I know we keep saying that, but I want to stress that, that we're not watching, you know, muff shot, uh, you know, 2010 here. Like, there's, there's certainly more, <laughs> more to it than that. Um, and I, you know, one thing I noticed that was very interesting, and I, I guess there is some sexual tie-in. You know, I'm not Freud. I don't know how this all ties in. But there's the recurring thing of insects in the film, whether it's ants, spiders, Etc. I meant to do some research on this in terms of the sexuality and, and how that ties in. But I don't think it's as direct as a fetish of insects. I think there's more to it than that. I'm not smart enough to, to really 
expand on it any further than that. Um, there's only a couple moments of real gore in the film, and they're done really, really well to the point where, again, they're very visceral and they're up close and they're intimate. And it's, I think, in our, you're going to hear in our feedback, Unshin Andalou, how that kind of ties in, of course. And anyone who knows what that film's notorious for will certainly know what is, is coming down the pipes uh, with this film. So, yeah, I mean, the only moments of gore are really fantastic. And then, in fact, in that last scene, Sammy, there's a very much a very torso moment with the reveal of a, a, a killer of sorts or a stalker. It's, uh, I guess, your way. Uh, it's kind of like uh, it, it's a it's shot low to the ground. It, it's shot up, and it looks like the killer from Torso, the same kind of getup that they wore with the mask and the ascot, and it's kind of got that shadow, that outline. Um, and then, of course, the film, at the very, very, very last shot of the film, comes wonderfully full circle in a very well-edited final moment of the film. Um, I, I just loved it. I mean, I, I can't really kind of hide or contain how much I love this film. Um, and again, I'll stress it's not for everyone. People that love Jolly may hate this film. People that uh, love art film may hate this film. But again, that's the thing that's so great about film is that it can be a lot of different things to a lot of different people depending on what you bring to the table uh, in terms of uh, on the subconscious, the conscious, where your tastes lie, etc. And this kind of falls into what that is. So those are all my notes. I think I would love to get it over to you for Make or Breaks, etc. if you're able to do so. I am back. I just made it back. <laughs> oh, nice, man. Good timing. I was just saying Make or Break time for you. All right, nice. Uh and basically, I know everything you said pretty much because I, you know, I talk to you all the time, so I'm not really... Yes. <laughs> all right, so my make or break is something I didn't really talk about in the, my notes, but because I just didn't have time, I kind of skimmed over it without I realized, but there's a great scene in a cab. I think you, you may have talked about it. I don't know. A little bit. Okay. Uh, I really love that scene. It's very erotic, very great. There's a great scene with like a, a imaginary kind of dream sequence in there that really, really, I really loved. I mean, it was really, it's really... Out of all the scenes I've seen in cinema this year, it's one of the best scenes in cinema this year, easily. Mm-hmm. I really, really loved it. Uh, uh, my MVT is going to be the aesthetic. I mean, I really think it's I, nothing else really screams to me. Maybe the directors, but and you know some of the, the young girl and, and stuff like that. There's some great, uh, there's some good acting in this, and some good makeup and some good stuff. But I really have to go with the aesthetic. I mean, it just it totally has a great feel to it altogether. Uh, my score for the film is going to be an eight point five out of ten. Yeah, I mean, I really liked it. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. I don't know if it's going to be on my top ten for the year, because I do think it can be a difficult film for people. But uh, I really liked it. I mean, I was kind of surprised I liked it. And I think you're probably a little surprised I liked it as much as I did as well. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd appreciate it from a technical standpoint. And looking at film as fairly as you do, I didn't know how much you were going to buy into it uh, as far as enjoyment goes, though. It's one thing to clinically look at it and say, that's well shot, that's well done. But if you... To- if it would have been two hours long, I would have had major, oh, major issues. Me too. Even even me, for that matter. Yeah. Even me, for that matter. Because it does lull in spots. To yeah. the point where you're like, oh, come on, let's go. Yeah, so, uh, that's, so that's I my guess thought- that means it's my yeah. turn. <laughs> yeah, that's my thoughts on Amir. <laughs> okay, my make or break. It's um, not so much a make or a break, um, but I think just the overall, that kind of abstract distillation, fetishization, fetishize fetishization uh, <laughs> <Yes, nice. laughs> of the genre, stripping it down to its purest, purest feeling and moments is what really made it for me. And that's just throughout the film you get that. It's a little more about the mood and the sensation of the genre than anything else as opposed to literally uh, a lot of red herrings and whodunits. Um, the most valuable thing for it to me was how sexy this film was. I mean, 
it, it, it's again, it's why I love the genre so much. Beautiful women, uh, everything that's going on. It's it's just, uh, yeah, really. You know, I don't know what else to say that I haven't blathered on about in my review. Uh, my score for the film's a little bit higher than yours. Uh, again, I think that's probably because this kid is a little more to. Um, what I place more value on, uh, and that's of course aesthetics, but I give it an 8.75. Um, we've said it enough, it's not for everyone. Some people are going to hate it, even that have trusted everything we've said and have liked everything we've said. Um, but if what we've said sounds to you like, you know, you would check it out, I'd be very curious to get people's opinion on it, uh, and we'll go from there. And this will probably be on my top 10 or, or pretty darn close. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be an honorable mention for me. I'm not going to deny, I'm not going to deny that. Don't know. As as always, never know if it's going to be on my top ten or stuff. We still got a long way to go for our top ten because we don't do ours till February. So, oh yeah, we got a lot of movies still. Yeah, so we got a long way to go, but it is one of the, especially visually, it's the like like Into the Void last year. This is one of the most visually impressive films I've seen this year easily. Uh, and, okay. and Belgium again coming through with a strong film. I mean, they're really you know you look at uh, a lot of their stuff. They're really coming through strong, man. Have to agree. Have to agree. Very and if you if for th- enthusiasts out there, you got to look into the Belgian film history. Very interesting history of films there. Oh yeah. All right. So that is our review of Amir. We'll be back uh, with some feedback uh, right after this, and I get my sanity back. Yeah, we'll be back right after this. Ram, <laughs> I have never played to you before. I have no tongue for it. No one, not even you, will remember if we were good podcasters or bad. Why we recorded, or why we voicemailed. All that matters is Metal Mikey stood against many. That's what's important. Valor pleases you, Krom. So grant me one request. Grant me action attraction. And if you do not listen, let to hold you. Action Attraction, the action movie review podcast. You can find Action Attraction through MetalMikey.Lipson.com or at www.pennycult.com, or by searching for Action Attraction in iTunes. I could, uh, had to let that play a little bit because it gets a little funky there. You know, you couldn't just, you know, just go with that intro. It's a long intro, so I had to let it play a little bit. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> some oh, podcasting yeah. favorites there for the GGTMC. Yeah, it's when two worlds collide, man. That's uh, of course Chromio and the blue-eyed soul man himself, uh, Daryl Hall. So yeah. <laughs> it would have been interesting if uh, when, I, when we went and picked up uh, Dylan and Christine at the airport, we walked back into the hotel at Horrorhound, and when we walked in, Private Eyes was playing in the hotel thing. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, man, Dylan, how awesome would it have been if me and Will would have walked in right at that moment? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the Hall and Oats of podcasting showing up. You got it. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, a generous amount of feedback this morning to get through. So, um, do you want me to read one? Sounds like you're chomping on some Cheerios or something there. You are spot on, and I must endorse these Cheerios. These are banana nut Cheerios, oh. and they're incredible. I have had them, and they are tasty. Oh, so good! I think they find the perfect balance between sweet and healthy. It's like. Yep. You know, you want a little bit of both, you get it with the uh, banana nut Cheerios. So anyway, I, I can read now. I actually finished. That was my last bite. Nice. Nice. Um, and now I am jealous because I didn't know they were banana nut until just now on the air. <laughs> the reveal. Um, first one is from Toby, and Toby writes, The Gentleman's Guide to Outside the Cinema. Hey, guys, a quick email to both your shows. Been listening to the GGTMC for quite a while, but I've just recently gotten into OTC. Great show. And I noticed, as I'm sure many have, that both your show's first name, your episodes, by combining the titles of the films you're going to cover. Just wondering who did this first. And also, I'm wondering if Bill by Force wants to will want to fight me for bringing it up. <laughs> Probably not. I'm sure you'd react more negatively if I told you what I thought of Dario Argento, though. <gasps> Just playing with you, but I'm ready for your advice as a first-time OTC emaily. Haha. <laughs> I guess he cc'd both of us on the same email. Must have. And. <clears throat> both great shows will be listening to you both for a long while I'm sure if I had to pick a favorite I'd wimp out and not tell you bye <laughs> Toby Birmingham the Brummy yeah he's a Brummy alright <laughs> uh, no Bill Bill wouldn't fight you Bill loves everybody and uh, I wouldn't worry about that I, I'm interested on your thoughts on Dario Argento uh, sounds like either one he really loves him or two he probably doesn't love him because I'm thinking if he copied both shows on the email I know Bill's a big Argento fan. You're a big Argento fan. Uh, Chris kind of indifferent, really, because he doesn't have a whole lot of experience with Argento. And, of course, I think we know where I stand with Argento at this point. So I'm guessing that he probably doesn't care for Argento. That would be my guess, but I can't tell from the email. I would say so. And I do also want to say I find it funny that he thinks I, – I, I find it funny when people find Bill to be this, like, nasty <laughs> hard man. Like, Bill loves <laughs> listens to Miley Cyrus and loves Disney movies. <laughs> Bill is a sweetheart. He doesn't hate anyone, so yes. <laughs> not to worry. He'll maybe, yeah. I don't know, he'll get a dig in at you, but yeah, he'll he's, dig not, he's not bad news brown. He's going to give you the ghetto blaster to finish you off. I mean, No, he's not. He is sometimes bad news brown eye, but not bad news brown. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I got to rub him a little bit. <laughs> the brown eye is always bad. Well, maybe I guess it depends on your taste, literally and figuratively. Oh, yeah. yeah, literally. Ooh. Yeah, a little brown eye talk to you to get it off proper. Um, the next one is a one-liner. I can probably read it again if you want. That's fun. Uh, title is Eddie Coyle. Just watch this fine movie featuring badass robber masks. Now listening to the GGTMC episode. Good to know you guys are still out there kicking ass. Best, Zach. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Zach, I don't know if we've heard from him in a while, have we? I guess we haven't. I think we'd, we'd heard a short email from him a little while ago. Um, Zach... Uh, I'm glad he contacted us because I was talking to an, an, a friend of his, a friend of his, the young monster known as Nick, a uh, fellow oh. Packer fan, I might add. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, 
and I said, what's up with Zach, man? Where's that guy? Does he not listen anymore? Because, you know, we haven't heard from him. And he goes, no, no, he's around. He's just, uh, you know, pretty busy. So, yeah, no, it was good Good to hear from Zach. And thank you. We. Uh, That's where I tied his name to. Okay, I understand now. It all makes sense? Yeah. yeah. I forgot I forgot that, you know, it was tied to young monster Nick. Oh, uh, okay. See, like Celine, it's all coming back to you now. Yes, yes, literally. Yes. <laughs> and there are nights and days where you're so cold. Yeah, when the wind was so cold, I believe. Or the wind. Sorry. <laughs> you're correcting me with the Quebec songbirds lyrics for yes. shame. <laughs> there were nights when the wind was so cold. <laughs> I don't know if she's talking about wind or, you know, maybe... maybe brown with, eye. Yeah, or yeah, maybe with the wind from the brown eye, which is kind of worrisome. If you got cold wind coming out of there, you might want to go see a doctor. You definitely want to see a doctor <laughs> if it comes out a little cold, because that should come out reasonably warm. <laughs> like like a, a glass of tea that's been sitting out for 10 minutes. <laughs> If it did come out cold, man, it'd be, it'd hang your ass into a window like an air conditioning unit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man, we're, we're, we've devolved very quickly here. Yes. All right, there's only one other email. I'll go ahead and read it. It's another, another long one either, so I'll go ahead and read it real quick. Uh, this is from William, or Will, from Queens, as he signs off here. Uh, he says, hey, guys, I'm a recent listener to your podcast. I've been listening to the back catalog of shows and making lists of movies I need to pick up. A Bittersweet Life is top on the hit list. I was wondering if you guys would ever consider doing a Walter Hill double feature. I'd suggest The Warriors and Streets of Fire. Personally, I've never seen Streets of Fire and would like to hear your thoughts on the movie. Uh, any chance to see Eddie Sands the Cruisers kicking ass has got to be a good time. But like, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. The Warriors is required viewing for teens in New York City since its release. How else are we going to learn how to avoid those scary gangs like the Lizzie's and the AC Turnbulls? Uh, again, like to hear your thoughts. Love the show and keep up the good work. Yada yada yada. Your fan Will from Queens. P.S. Fuck the Crips and the Bloods. Baseball Furies represent. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Well, probably the only reason why we haven't done the Warriors yet is uh, I think everybody pretty much at this point should know where Will stands on the Warriors for sure. <laughs> Top ten all time favorite films. I've seen that film and The Last Dragon more than any films in my life. Yeah, and, and I love it, too. So we're just kind of holding off on that one for a while. I'm not saying we never will do it. Uh, what's more interesting is that we haven't done more Walter Hill in general, but, uh, you know, we will. We will. We'll get around to it. Yeah, because we're both humongous, humongous fans of his. I know we have at least two or three of his films on our roadmap. Uh, we were holding off on hard times out of respect for CD because they were going to do hard times a long time ago. But there's, I would say over the next couple of years, we'll at least do three or four Walter Hills because we're both huge fans. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't mind doing Streets of Fire. It's a kind of an oddity, but it's a, it's a fun oddity to say the least. I totally agree with you. I, I'd say it, it might be safe to say that if he's not in there, he's just on the outside looking in of top 10 favorite directors for both of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorites. Yeah. He's in the conversation for sure. So yeah, no, you'll get some, uh, you'll get some Hill love uh, from us. Well, yes, indeed. All right. We got some voicemail. Well, let's see here. Let me get some queued up and get going. Voicemail number one should go now. Willie and Rick, this is Metal Mikey calling in once more again. And I promise this time I want to keep it short, which should be easy because the last episode I listened to, the Rolling Coil episode, I don't have much to say. I haven't seen either. The most I'd seen of Rolling Vengeance was what I saw at Horror Hound Weekend in Randy's hotel room. <laughs> but first, since I bring it up, you know, your thoughts and expressions on Horror Hound Weekend Cincinnati, it warmed my heart much like a Dutch oven. No, seriously, <laughs> both. it was great meeting the both of you. 
I mean, I've already met Rick before, but you, Large William, that was a treat. It's also additionally a treat to meet Rick's lovely wife and infinitely adorable baby. And also, you know, it's like I said on my show as well, I couldn't begin to greet everybody that I met and hung out with because I know I forget somebody, but... I do have to agree. A special congratulations needs to go out to Randy, a.k.a. Damocles, as well. Dude, he totally fucking rocks. And I actually got to spend some one-on-one time with him in between, like, all these other trips. So, Randy, if you're listening to this, this one goes out to you from Metal Mikey. Dude, totally fucking rocking and metal. So, there you go. And I might just have, like, rambling notes about (laughs) Rolling Vengeance. And you know what, people... You know what you can look forward to, especially the lady listeners out there? If you associate yourself with me, I will woo you with such romantic gems as I like you. That <laughs> is just pure genius. And to this day, Lucio Fulci's fog from Conquest, I think it still exists on this planet. I don't think it's really completely dissipated. <laughs> and speaking of things that never dissipate... It is Rick and Will's collective cool, and despite of all the woes and difficulties that happened in the face of this episode. And also, Rick, I wanted to make mention that you said your photo trick is the thumbs up. I noticed in a lot of photos I end up being taken in or taking of myself with another person. I do finger points a lot. Not like the two <laughs> finger points, but just sort of like the one finger point. It can either be one hand or two hands, because I'm really super cheesy like that. <laughs> and finally, favorite Criterion set. I believe it's the first one I bought, which was Videodrome. And I remember distinctly I got it from a used DVD store for infinitely cheaper than it probably should have been. And it was just my first taste at the expanded film nerd world that Criterion has to offer. So, to you, Rick, to you, William, and to all your families, I'm calling a day before Thanksgiving, so hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. I think I'm cutting close to time, so I will talk to you later. All right, take it easy. Bye. All right. A lot of stuff to address in there. I don't know if I'll be able to remember all of it, but I'll just say that, once again, it's always great to see Mikey, and I'm sure it was pretty great for you to finally meet the metal one yourself. Oh, yeah, man. I kind of bum-rushed him. Uh, Where were we? Um... I can't remember, man, but I saw, I, I don't like, he looked like I'd seen pictures of him, so I kind of ran up to him, kind of like a girl, I felt, in hindsight, I remember thinking myself, I kind of ran up to him a little bit like a girl, and I'm like, oh, Mikey, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah, 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 well, you know, I mean, that's the way it is, I mean, but yeah, it's really great to see him, as always, and uh, I appreciate the kind words for the baby, and, and for my wife, and uh, and all those things, and yeah, it was a great time, and uh, Mikey should definitely check out Rolling Vengeance when he gets a chance, he, I think he'd probably like it. Kinda. And I love that he also brought up win somehow with the Dutch oven talk. <laughs> yeah. Matter of fact, I think Mikey would like Rolling Vengeance a lot. I think, God damn it, he would like it. <laughs> he, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. He would yes. like it. Uh, and I think it's perfect um, action attraction material. Ooh, yeah, it's perfect action attraction fodder. All right. All right. So let me uh, let me pause here. If you got something you got to do, I'm going to turn I'm going to actually, you know what? I'm going to keep us rolling because I have something I can do, which is I can do the Kringle draw if you want. I've been writing up names and stuff. Okay. Uh, and then I'll just let you know if I call your thing before you come back who you have. Okay. Right, so what, what, what's going on? Give guys a behind the scenes is I'm going to go pick up my son who's waking up this morning and Will's going to run solo here like Mario Van Peebles. 
<laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna slide. <laughs> I don't even know why that came up. <laughs> I can't ever hear the word solo without thinking of Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna pick up the sun, so I shall return. Okay, so here we are, and I always fucking segue in with that. Okay. All right, so uh, that aside, so Kringle's here, and I do want to say as an aside, if I have not mentioned your name, it's because I've somehow forgotten about you. Um, Dylan, I'd asked you. I didn't hear back from you by now. Maybe you've forgotten or whatever the case is. I don't mean to certainly say anything on air if I'm embarrassing you, but um, since I hadn't heard back from you, I didn't put your name in just because I didn't know what you, where you guys were at. Maybe you are a little bit jammed up and... Uh, you know, busy and stuff, you couldn't get involved. So, uh, in any event, if I have not mentioned your name as I'm doing this, it means you've fallen through the cracks and you need to get in contact with me ASAP. So, uh, the way Kringle works, of course, is it's pretty, you know, secret Santa. I guess it's not so secret, but um, you're going to ha- you're gonna have someone's name drawn and you're going to send them a gift for Christmas. Um, now, it doesn't have to be something you buy, although it can be something you buy. It can be something you make, something... You give them, and essentially, it doesn't have to necessarily even be movie-related if you don't want it to be. Um, so, without further ado, I'm going to do the draw, and we'll start from the bottom up. Speaking of Metal Mikey, Mikey, let me actually shuffle these names around. <clears throat> okay, and Metal Mikey has, meaning Metal Mikey is buying for, Oh, Brian Higgins, the Brin. And our good friend... The downtown correspondent, downtown Chris Brown, the uncool cat, has Bjornar. And Sean from Chicago has Dr. Zom. Christian in upstate New York, the man who does a dusty Rhodes impersonation like it's nobody's business, has Heaven's Trash. And Heaven's Trash has uh, PDX Creep, or Jeff. Jeff B, of course. And the Zom, who's probably going to send a uh, singing stripogram <laughs> to whoever he gets, uh, has, uh, who I believe is Jake McLarge Huge, Jacob Feltner. So I hope you don't mind I'm saying your name on air, Jake, but I'll get to do it for clarity's sake. Um, next up, the Bryn in Utah has Christian from upstate New York. And our dear friend Emily, she of ghost camera fame amidst a myriad of things, has the uncoolest of cats, uncool cat. Jeff B., the PDX creep, has Jay Spear, he of oily maniac fame, of course. And Jake McLarge Huge, who, again, I'm associating as Jake Feltner. Forgive my goldfish memory, Jake. Uh, Has Sean from Chicago. Mr. Ensley down in sunny Florida. Has Emily and Travia. I hope you don't mind. I'm sorry. The deadly doll herself. Matsuzaka. Uh, The man we've all been trying to get a a free wedding here. Hopefully our efforts have paid off. Has the fakest of shemps. Fake shemp J. Rupert Pupkin. Has Mike Ensley. TL Bug. 
as Matt Suzaka. Give me one second here. Okay, and Mr. Shemp as Mr. Samurai. So the fakest of Shemps as Sammy. The oiliest of maniacs, Jay, as TL Bug. Bjarnar has me, Sammy, as Rupert Pupkin, and Large William as the Metal One, Metal Mikey. Okay, so there it is. I'll get those addresses out to you in the next few days uh, so we can get everything done shipping-wise. And uh, that's it, guys. So um, if I haven't mentioned your name, like I said, contact us, please. I don't know if Rick's back yet or not. No, he's not. Okay. So, um, brr, 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 brr. I don't know what to say. That's all the material I had prepared, I guess. Um, I'm eating an orange. It's quite good. Actually, a tangerine. And I lament that they only come out here at Christmas. Um, rest of the year, it's navel oranges, which are fine, but... Something to be said for those wooden crates of tangerines this time of year. Do I hear you, Sammy? No, apparently not. Oh. Are you there? Well, I'm really twisting in the wind here. Um. Yeah. So anyway, getting back to Kringle then to try to just roll with it here. Um. I can't stress this enough, guys. I included sometimes. <clears throat> I'm a procrastinator. All of us have been kind enough to take part in this and buy gifts for each other, so I can't stress it enough. Please, please get your gifts out to people by the second week of December because it would be shitty if, you know, everyone that took part and a couple people didn't get their gifts until, like, way afterwards, like January or February or something stupid like that, um... You know, I know there's times where, you know, life gets busy and so on and so forth, but try to set aside the time, even if it means that you end up putting a package together of shit from home, like a poster, or a VHS tape, a DVD or something. Just, you know, try to do that because it's, you know, I want all everyone that takes part to have something to open. And again, with that being said, if you don't get your gift by, you know, the 23rd of December or something, give me a call or an email and let me know so I can follow up accordingly with... Uh, with the person who has you, um, you know, because it's uh, it's obviously important that you, you know, we've kind of paid it forward and it's come full circle for everyone. Um, I just want to say at the uh, Gentleman's Guide, the Gentleman's Blog to Midnight Cinema, good friend Aaron, who's really doing yeoman's work with everyone he's, he's got involved and everything else. I don't think we give him enough credit. Um, just does an amazing job with the blog, a lot of hard work. He puts in more time in it than anyone. So, I mean, I really, you know, hats off to him. But uh, he's got a great review up of Class of 1999. And what's so amazing about his review uh, of Class of 1999 is that uh, in the it, it's so serendipitous because about a week ago, I was thinking about Stacey Keach, and I was thinking about how in Class of 1999, Stacey Keach has the worst ensemble, the worst look uh, and hair of anyone in the history of cinema, and I think that's a bold statement, but if you see that film, you'll atrocious fucking thing. <laughs> I have uh, to agree with that. I am back. I have to agree with that. It, he looks awful, and in the, the opening line of uh, Aaron's review, he says, he, he describes uh, 
how Keats looks and he's like, this let me know I was in for more awesome or something that basically let him sleep well knowing that uh, the movie was going to be great. And it is a great little film uh, as an aside. But anyway, you're back. Do you want me to tell you um, the particulars who you have and who has you? Yeah, go ahead. You actually have uh, Mr. Rupert Pupkin. Oh, the Roop. And I actually ended up getting the metal one. Nice. Uh, Bjornar has me. And Mr. Shemp uh, has you. Ah, sweet. So, and then there's a bunch of other show here in the episode. Um, it all kind of uh, shook out uh, as it should. So I told everyone, just make sure you get the gifts out. You know, by the second week of December, it's shitty to be the person who doesn't get a gift despite taking part in this. Agreed, agreed, agreed. All right, so are we uh, moving on to mm-hmm. the next voicemail? All right, I got the next voicemail queued up. Here we go. Evening, gents. It's Ben from Australia. Just walking home after work. Hope there's not too much background noise of cars. Really fucking busy for 11 o'clock at night. Anyway, uh, just doing a massive callback. I just finally watched Raiders of Atlantis. Had an awesome VHS night with a mate, Raiders of Atlantis, and uh, Rock and Roll Nightmare, which, yeah, fucking blew my mind. Um, anyway, Raiders of Atlantis, yeah. So I went back and listened to your episode, and hilarious stuff, great. Episode 3, way, way back. Um... And uh, Will mentions at one point that there's some stock footage in it that he reckons he saw in a Santos film. I saw this stock footage and went, holy fuck, that's the same storm in Lady Terminator. So that bit of stock footage of a stormy ocean has got around. It's a little dirty whore of a storm. Anyway, (laughs) that's a completely pointless piece of information. Hope you enjoy it. Another news, I saw Red Hill today. Oh, my God, this is bad. Oh, my God. I probably would have enjoyed it so much more if I'd been really drunk and watching with friends because it is so bad, it's almost good. Wow. Talk about inept, dumb filmmaking. In fact, look, just wait for DVD, get pissed, watch it. You'll probably laugh your tits off. It is so clunky. Um, in fact, I think the one thing that could really save it is if it edited in additional shots of cutaways to a panther reacting to murders happening and the tagline for it was it's a motherfucking panther bitch <laughs> if you see the film you know what i mean this shit was terrible nah uh do do, do not judge australians by this crap it is so just made for export it's just like country bumpkin bullshit anyway hope all is well i'll catch you guys later bye it's interesting i've heard some people tell us that we would probably dig red hill and then others tell us that it's crap I do want to see it. You know, I like Quantin, of course, because I'm a True Blood fan. Uh, and it's a Western. And, you know, I don't know. I, I'm interested to see. I think it want, it's one I might kind of dupe my wife into because, of course, she likes True Blood, too. So. Oh, okay, okay. Nice move. Yeah, exactly. You and I talked about the games we play as cinematic it's- nerds to uh, to kind of trick our wives into seeing things, the way we pitch films to them. So Yes. Uh, it's interesting going back and... Uh- listening to him kind of quote some stuff from back in the uh, earlier reviews. That was episode three, I believe. Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. And also, by the way, your Skype message, uh, yes, that's fine. Uh, that's, okay. <laughs> that's fine. Totally fine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I don't really have much more to add to that. I got a son no, here good. who's being very picky about the bottle, like, uh, like you know, like something's changed all of a sudden after so many months. Yeah, I've been there many times with... Uh, he, he would rather play with it than he would uh, drink it. So that's one of yeah, those situations. They kind of like nah, 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 on the end of it. Yeah. And it makes a mess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's making a mess. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, Ben, uh, thank you for that. And you're right. Um, and what a great VHS night. Um, 
Raiders of Atlantis and Rock and Roll Nightmare. That's a great VHS night. So I, as I told you on Facebook, good on your friend for programming that. Uh, yes, yes, very nice. Night. You got two great pieces of music with We Accept the Challenge and, of course, Black Inferno. So. Yes, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> All right, uh, next voicemail, if I can reach the button. Hang on, I'm getting the, I'm getting the stink eye. Let me get the button over here. Here we go. Hey, guys, it's Scott in Toronto calling. Uh, you know, you mentioned my voice was a bit low. And uh, the husky, dusky, dusty last week. And to make matters worse, I'm just coming out of a, a bout uh, of laryngitis. So it may be even worse. You know, my, my mother-in-law says I have a voice for the CBC. I never quite got that unless she means the Cannabis Broadcasting Corporation. Oh, all right. So it's a bit too mellow. Anyhow, <laughs> love the Your Show. Terrific. It really, really took me back. It, you know, it's funny that there was a time when this sort of movie, movie was in theaters. Uh, in the early 80s, you'd see this sort of thing because you wouldn't see what we get today with, you know, the same film on so many screens at the same theater. Um, it, it, you had room for this kind of movie. I'm sure that back then the theater would love to have had five prints of Return of the Jedi to play, but they never did, and that's how we got your, which was just fun. They had to find fun things to show in any of these multiplexes that were popping up back then, and we had one here in Toronto at the Eaton Center. I think it had 26 screens. I mean, they had to find some pretty creative ways to fill those screens, and that's how we got, like, your Revenge of the Ninja, My Tutor, that kind of movie. You know, those were really the days. For me as a young lad, did I travel 45 minutes by public transit to see fraternity vacation? Yep. <laughs> Am I proud of that fact? A little. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Speaking of movies that really had no right to ever get a theatrical release, I think it was Rupert that mentioned The Treasure of the Four Crowns. This is one you guys have got to check out. I think it was 10 years old when it was uh, released. Uh, I think it was the very tail end of the uh, second or third 3D movie craze. When my parents were out of town on vacation, my sister and I were staying with my grandmother, and for one reason or another, she asked me uh, to pick a movie for us all to go see. Well, I picked Treasure of the Four Crowns because it looked just like Raiders and was totally in 3D. It is terrible. And like, <laughs> I mean, terrible. The head-spinning climax will indeed make your head spin. You'll, you'll know what I mean when you see it. My grandmother didn't speak to me pretty much for the rest of the year. I don't think my sister's speaking to me this day, but that, that, that's okay in its own way. <laughs> now, you guys should totally cover it. Uh, this guy, Tony Anthony, you may know him. Great name, terrible actor. He really deserves to be in sort of the ham wing of your GGTMC Hall of Fame. So check that one out for sure. I, I doubt it's on DVD. I don't know how they can uh, retrofit the 3D stuff. I'm sure it just looks terrible in its current state. Anyhow, check that one out. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, Will, you mentioned that uh, maybe joining you and Chris for a screening of 2001. That sounds like 2001. So count me in. <laughs> Talk to you soon, guys. Cheers. All right. Yes. You know, he brings up uh, Treasure Four Crowns. I've seen Treasure Four Crowns. I own it. I've had it for a long time. Uh, Tony Anthony is not a great actor, but he's one of those, you know, kind of spaghetti Western actors who's never really as big, kind of like uh, Gemma there. Uh, yep. Not as good an actor as Gemma, probably. But, um, yeah, I mean, he did that film, and I believe it's a Baldy film, like I said, and I think uh, they got on a 3D craze for a little while. They did another one that's really kind of popular, too, that got released in theaters called Coming At You. Yeah, that's right. That came out. I think that got re-released recently. Yeah. So they've done some stuff like they did some stuff like that. They were really riding high on the 3D craze of the early '80s. So, you know, I, just, I dropped a pacifier. I'm looking for it. 
Oh, no worries. Um, I uh, I think there's a great thread going on the board started by Jay about um, great movie memories, and i got to chime in on some stuff there. Um, it's just been an insane couple weeks for me, but people are just sharing their early memories. I can d- Actually, I'll say one on the air since you're looking for that. What do you guys call it besides a pacifier? I think you and I talked about this. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I called it, or my mom and dad called it, a, or my mom, I should say, called it a bopper. Which a is, bopper. Yeah, which is weird. Uh, I don't know what she called it that for. She says that I called it that, and that's what she started calling it that for. So I might have. I might have called it the bopper. So, you know. But uh, we call it a pacifier or a, uh, well, between me and the son here, we call it a passy. You know, we say, where's your passy? You know, he starts smiling and shit. <laughs> when you call it a bopper, that's something Lynn Thigpen of <laughs> Carmen San Diego and the Warriors fame would approve of. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and we call it a shushi because then I guess that would come from, yeah. or chuchetto, which is Italian, but shushi because I think it like it shushes them. But our, our, um, my, my, Wow, this is such, such a side off topic thing. Very quickly, my um, my sister in law calls it a Dodi, which I hate that name, and I don't know why Dodi has any association with pacifier or yeah. soother. Yeah, it, uh, I've heard people call it all kinds of things. Between me and my wife, we call it the cork. The cork is a good one. <laughs> yes, but you know that's just because you know sometimes there can be a little, as you know, at this age they get. Uh, sometimes you can't please them no matter what you do. I don't care if you run around the house with stuff on your head and and do flips and everything. At some point that gets boring for them. So it's like find the cork. Oh yeah, no, it's needed. And I was just going to say very quickly, uh, very quick memory. Uh, I went to see Jaws 3D with my dad in theaters. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> and I'll never forget this, and he won't ever forget this. Um, I, I was maybe a little too young, but that was okay. I mean, I liked horror films and stuff, but we were watching and I was like, Dad, I'm going to be sick. And my dad, you know, very attentive towards me. So this maybe sounds uncharacteristically inattentive, but he, he thought maybe I was just scared. So because he goes, just put your head like on my shoulder and, and don't look. And uh, so, I, again, I said it and, you know, I think at that point he kind of started to see like maybe I wasn't feeling so well and didn't quite make it out of the theater. I blew chunks in the aisle uh, watching Jaws 3D. So. Ouch. Do you, have I asked you this before, Will, if you suffer from motion sickness? I think you told me you do a little bit. Uh, I used to get a bat on buses when I was a kid. Okay. Um, not so much anymore. I mean, I, actually, I'll tell you what. If I'm going to go to a theme park, I'll pop a few gravels. balls. Okay. Because I love going on roller coasters. But Or, I'll, you know what, just absolutely crushes me, and I think I talked to Lofo about this. You know those boxes you sit in, and it's supposed to be like a 3D experience? Like you're on a roller coaster, and the box kind of moves around and, and shit like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, those abs, like, I close my eyes and do rhythmic breathing, man. I was in one at Disney World where it was like a, a Star Wars ship, like an X-Wing, I think, or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Man, that thing beat me up. Wow. Yeah, I mean, everybody suffers from it a little bit, I think. I'm lucky I don't suffer from it a whole lot. I'm trying to think of good movie, I mean, great movie theater experiences, but I haven't really, I mean, I have a lot, but I haven't really, can't really single one out on top of my head, so. I had told you on there. Uh, someone uh, when we went to there's a whole backstory to this, but when we went to see Grindhouse in theaters, someone shit in the theater, and I said to my wife, I said, "How fitting." <laughs> yes, well, that is a Grindhouse experience. <laughs> certainly was. Yeah, you can't really top that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless somebody dropped one on your chest, I don't think it gets much better than that. No, it <laughs> the doesn't. <laughs> the good old Cleveland steamer. The Cleveland steamer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, all right. Uh, next voice, I don't know how that ever replied to any of Scott's stuff, but hey, there we go. Call in, you'll get Cleveland Steamer talk. <laughs> yeah, and Scott, hit me up for the date for 2001. Nice. All right, next voice, man. Here we go. Uh, good morning, gents. Ben from Australia. Um, calling from another busy street, and I want to work this time. Uh, just let me call up and say, 
So he just basically told us that he heard that Ernest Borgnine masturbates? Is a chronic masturbator, no less, and he attributes his fountain of youthness to it. Well, I should live to be 150. <laughs> yeah, I shall also live a long life, much like an eternal. Yeah. Unless the callus is developed where I can't feel anything anymore, I should be fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, you know, I, I listen to the Creative Screenwriting Podcast. It's a good podcast. Actually, Dylan from Paracinema turned me on to that one a long time ago. So it is good. Uh, it, it's a selective one for me. I only listen to the shows where the film actually seems interesting to me. But I have listened to a few where the film hasn't seemed interesting. And it is interesting to listen to some of the behind-the-scenes stuff because they can be brutally honest. And you can kind of hear sometimes the kind of ludicrous nature of Hollywood filmmaking. Sometimes you wouldn't believe some of the stories some of these guys tell. <laughs> I'll have to check that one out. I've been meaning to for years. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good show. I think you'd like it because I know you like uh, the treatment with uh, Elvis Mitchell, and it's it's like a longer version of that. So very nice, very nice. All right, next voicemail. Uh, ben back again, gents. Uh, just a quick word that uh, Billion, you got Ian and I confused you in there. You said that Pennsylvania dying, and you said Ian to Ben. So yeah. Clear that up. I actually wanted to call and say, um, it might not be dead. It might be coming back from the dead. I don't know if it'll eat some brains or not, but it could happen. Um, that was a very couple of down. Skateboard on, uh, uh, the, the, those stone things that walk on. Anyway, stuff my brain said. Um, yeah, so think one day it might not be dead. Um, a lot of people were very sad and the efforts are being made to try and, like, Sort out the various issues that have ground us to a halt. And uh, that, and Lake Placid 3 just came out, and I just seen long still in Continue before having a GTMC trilogy type Lake Placid test. So, yeah, anyway, keep you posted, guys. Catch up. 
I didn't understand what film he was talking about there in the in the background. I <laughs> couldn't understand the phone call there. Either way, uh, so he says that uh, Cynical Tanya might not be completely dead. Is that what he said? Yeah, I think he might have said that uh, because of, I think, a, a friend of his. Yeah. It was hard to make out some of the stuff he was saying there. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the reception there was good. But that's good, though. I mean, you know, reanimated Cynical Tanya sounds good to me. Absolutely. Be good to get him back out there. All right, uh, next voicemail. This one's from Mike. Here we go. Gentlemen, I was uh, up at 12.30, 1 o'clock, going to Walmart to get a digital camera that a three-year-old could not destroy, the VTech, whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> but on the way between store to store, I was going by myself because my wife and my child were sleeping, and I was a brave man out in the middle of the night. Um, I listened to the last show with great anticipation because it was one of my favorite films of all time. The Magnificent Red Brown and you're the hunter from the future. And you did not disappoint. I, I can hear the joy in your voices as you talked about his loincloth wonderfulness and the, the beauty of his wig and <laughs> that fucking pterodactyl, man. One shot, down it goes, and then he's off in a hang glide, and it's a beautiful thing. Yes. Um, you know, I was talking with some other people the other day. Really, sword and sorcery films have got to come back. If there was two kinds of movies that I rented, Okay, three kinds of movies, because there was, you know, obviously the softcore stuff like Emmanuel movies and Hots and uh, <laughs> Agent of Heat and all that kind of stuff. But yes. if there were three kinds of movies that I rented when I was a teenager, the other two would have been post-apocalyptic films and, of course, the sword and sorcery films. And I know you guys have a soft spot for those two and maybe a hard spot for the other kind. But, <laughs> yeah, um, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm hoping that someday the sword and sorcery movie at least will make a comeback. I mean, it's got to. I know that um, Pian or whatever his name is, the guy who did uh, Sword and the Sorcerer, apparently the work print of his sequel that he just completed to Sword and the Sorcerer is out on, online somewhere, apparently in the evening. I haven't seen it. Hmm. I haven't seen it downloaded or found it under a rock or anything like that, but hmm. I just read online that he's Albert Pian's making a, a sequel and uh, it's out there and people are talking about it already. He's not happy that's out there because apparently, the, it, like I said, it is a work print. But why can't those kind of movies come back? You know, I mean... Um, yeah, I want to see, like, a live-action Thunder of the Barbarian. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. Like, guys running around with swords and chicks in tight clothing and <laughs> magic spells and fucking trolls and dragons. That's what I want to see on the big screen. I thought for a while there maybe Lord of the Rings would bring that crap back, but it didn't. And then now we've got all these wizards with, like, Harry Potter crap. I don't want to see that. I'm not interested. Um, so please, uh, if you guys can get on that, start calling your contacts out there in Hollywood and tell them, you know, it, it is a shame because, like, uh, that those kind of people movies just can't be made anymore. You know, the Italians aren't going to go to the theater and see that anymore. And, you know, um, all those films, you know, Hollywood people like Fred and Ray aren't even making those kind of movies. I mean, if you want to see some shit, Sword and Sorcery, Wizards of the Demon Sword, but I, I'm rambling at this point, but I just I get worked up about this kind of stuff. Um, just remember, it's yours world, and we just live in it. And, uh, and for Will, I would just like to say, in order to speak, not my okay. You only say a few words at a time. I'm out. Ciao. <laughs> nice. Got a Michael Caine impersonation this morning. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, no. Um, yeah, the Pyun one actually has Sorbo in it. And I, I don't know that it got leaked, but feel bad for Pyun because he's actually spent a long time working on it. Um, what else did he talk about? VTech. I'm very familiar with the VTech name, having kids. Uh, what else yes. Did he talk about? Well, he's talking about basically the sword and sorcery movie coming back, and like all genres, the it's in it's in a dead time. It's been in a dead time for a while now, but 
believe it or not, I, I still believe it'll come back. All genres come back at some point. I know it sounds kind of crazy right now, but all genres come back at some point. Speaking of which, I posted this on the boards. It might have fallen through the cracks for you. Uh, have you seen the trailer for the new Danny McBride film? Yes, I have, in fact. <laughs> I, I'm, I'll, I would even watch it in theaters. I, I, it's not my favorite genre, but I think it looks pretty fun. And um, did I, say Dan- I meant to say David Gordon Green. I know it technically is a Danny McBride film. but Well, whenever you have Danny McBride anymore, it seems like David Gordon Green's nearby. He did most of the episodes of season two of uh, Eastbound and Down. So it seems like they're really starting to work together a lot. No, it looks really funny. It does. Uh, it looks really great. Uh, and Natalie and, Portman. Yeah. And it also just looks ridiculous because, you know, it just looks like, I, you know, I've watched uh, David Gordon Green do comedy. Uh, I mean, again, I was a fan of Pineapple Express, and I liked uh, I liked most of the episodes. Oh, I loved all the episodes of Eastbound Down. He did. Uh, he seems to get comedy, and he seems to really work with Danny McBride really well. Seems to get Danny McBride really well, too. So, uh, And Danny McBride, I can take and leave him sometimes. Just depends on what he's doing. Uh, but yes. he can be very good sometimes, too. So. Totally agree. Yeah, I can't wait to see it, actually. I'm really excited about that one. Uh, I don't get excited about, like you, I don't get excited about comedies too much anymore because they seem to have passed me by right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, that one looks like it could be fun. Yeah, oh, definitely. Just as long as it's not two hours and 40 minutes long. Precisely. <laughs> like comedy needs to be epic. Yeah. Will Ferrell will be in there, and all of a sudden it's a three-hour movie. I'm like, I don't see the point, but whatever. I'm getting talked to over here in the corner. All right. Uh, thanks for the voicemail, Mike. Uh, brave of you to go out and about on Black Friday. I did all my shopping online, by the way. Just knocked it all out and went to sleep. <laughs> nice. All right. Next voicemail. Hey, guys. This is Jake McLarch Huge. Uh, I was just calling in to give you my thoughts on uh, Amer. Um, I was able to get a copy of it. Uh, through nefarious means, because, I don't know, that's pretty much the only way I could find it. And uh, I ended up just downloading the Spanish subtitles, because that's all I can really understand. Uh, I'm not completely fluent in it, but it was enough that I could understand what's going on. But that wasn't really something, you know, it wasn't really a movie worth understanding. You know, I'm not, you know bummed that I watched it, but it's definitely a movie that just really, really isn't for me. It, it It's kind of just because it serves as a watermark for, you know, how much I can accept and, you know, experimental or surreal film, and it's really just kind of on the edge of, you know, what I'm willing to accept. Um, unfortunately, you know, it went over that edge, and it, I don't know, it just couldn't engage me at all. I mean, I could really appreciate what they're doing. You know, there's some interesting, you know, uh, themes. There's some interesting moments of tension and cinematography and everything. But I guess just the the complete lack of a narrative, you know, really, you know, prevented me from, you know, getting fully engaged with it. So I don't know. I just kind of ended up, you know, not really, you know, having opinions either way once that ended. I was just like, yeah, you know, it was kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's no... Unchi and Andalu or anything like that, but it was still a little too much for me to really get into. It's definitely one of those movies that I got to be really cautious before I recommend it to anybody because it's definitely not for, you know, mass consumption. Uh, but aside from that, uh, I was just curious if you guys had seen a movie called Deadfall. Uh, I stumbled across this uh, video on YouTube of the compilation of Nicolas Cage just completely freaking out and, you know, his. <laughs> crazier acting moments. So there's a movie um, called Deadfall where he just plays this like 
I don't know, this insane pimp or uh, <laughs> yeah. a collector of some sort, and he's got a cheesy mustache, and he's got the craziest inflections. He's screaming fuck all the time. <laughs> and it just looks like the most unhinged performance this side of Klaus Kinski. <laughs> and uh, I was curious if you guys had seen I'm going to get a copy of it soon so I can watch this masterpiece. It's got Michael Bean in it, which I was... I always liked him. He never gets a lot of play, but you know, I always thought he had a good, good bit of potential. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, keep up the good work, guys. See you. Have you seen this video of the Nicolas Cage crazy moments? Uh, no, I know it's been floating around, but I just haven't had an opportunity to sit down and revel in the cage. Yeah. What What you realize, and what I said when I commented on it to somebody who put it out either on their Facebook or on the uh, on the uh, boards or one or the other was that that's that 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 was the weird thing to me that now i know people get a little tired of cage nowadays sometimes some of the stuff he does but he's always he's always been nuts i don't think that uh, you can't say the one thing you can't say about nicholas cage is it isn't like he started being nicholas cage like 10 years ago i mean he's been nicholas cage pretty much from the beginning and uh, that movie deadfall is a good example if nobody's ever seen that that's i think it's directed by his brother uh one of the coppolas and uh or either that or his uncle. Well, it's somebody related to him. I know it's a Coppola film. I think it's Roman Coppola. And uh, it is a... <laughs> it's... <laughs> I can't even explain it as a movie. It's uh, it's really just Nicolas Cage doing every little weird eccentric thing you can imagine Nicolas Cage doing, including wearing a fake mustache and humping a bed and, and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> so, you know, that's the cage. I mean, he's always been nuts and... I think once he's uh, dead and gone, as morbid as that sounds, I think he'll probably be looked upon similar to Klaus Kinski, probably. Oh, God. I'll tell you, man, these USB ports in the front of my computer are fucking aggravating. Um, I did hear everything you said, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, Cage has always been insane. I just think he lucked out in that he was in a few films that made some bank, so oh, yeah. it allowed him to cash a lot of $25 million checks, and I don't blame him. I would do the same thing. I think he's kind of coming around now with interesting films over the past three or four years. So I think when it's all said and done, it's all going to come up pretty pretty fair as far as an interesting filmography goes, without question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does do a lot of kind of crap films now, but every now and then there's like like Bad Lieutenant, there's a little gem in between. Yeah, and I'm not as big of a fan as yours, but being impartial and fair to him, he'll have, like I said, pretty interesting, at least 10 or 10 or 12 pretty interesting solid films. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got... Yeah, you should definitely check out Deadfalls. We might cover that at some point. That would be an interesting coverage to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it as, you know, I resist it's some not, cage. It's not really a very good film, but, uh, you know, you can tell it's a little bit of nepotism. You know, brothers getting together, making a film. I believe he's related to Roman. I think he is. I, well, I mean, I know he's related. Yeah, cousins. Oh, okay, cousins, that's what it is. It's cousins, not brothers. That's right. That's right. I get them confused sometimes. Yes, all those Coppola's yeah. and Shires and Schwartzman's. And- yeah, yeah, because they're all, you know, they're all related. I tell you what, man, if they, they all get together for a family union, that's a body hair fucking convention right there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The hair convention. <laughs> yeah. The Coppola's and eyebrows, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like somebody who, who unleashed the caterpillars. All right. No kidding, man. <laughs> Where's Eugene Levy? All right. <laughs> Honorary Coppola. All right. Yep. Uh, next voicemail. We got a long one here from the Zom. Here we go. Gentlemen. This is Dr. Zom, and uh, it's Monday night, 
at about 9.30, and I just thought I would give you a call and say hello. I almost forgot what day it was, but anyway, just to get right down to it, um, I was flipping the channels last night and came across um, what I feel is a, a forgotten gem, an instant classic uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, possible Criterion Collection um, candidate, uh, and that movie is Ega. Oh, Ega. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, I think, uh, written, produced, and directed by Arch Hall Sr. Oh, yeah. Starring Arch Hall Jr. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Richard Kyle. Uh, and um, basically a movie about um, some groovy early 60s uh, people getting involved with a caveman out in the desert. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the caveman is uh, Richard Kyle. Yes, great big Richard Kyle, and he's kind of horny because he hasn't had any uh, cave women in a while. And uh, speaking of the uh, dildo question, um, oh. I don't know if this would be uh, considered uh, along with that, but his club was pretty damn big, long, and black. What? <laughs> uh, the movie was pretty damn hilarious. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, it was. Uh, it did have uh, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and her big boobies, um, giving the uh, movie macabre little comments uh, in between the commercials. And every once in a while, she'd throw in something semi-funny. Um, I watched a movie that pales in comparison to Ega. And that movie, and probably cost, uh, I'd say, $100 million more than Ega. And that was The Last Airbender. Um, I did not watch this movie by choice. Oh, okay. I came in with, uh, I guess, some, or my, I already had some perceptions that weren't good, but I thought that I would watch it and (gasps) give it a shot. (laughs) What the? I'll tell you what, even one of my friends even came over and said that he had read either the comic or the graphic novel or whatever and said, you know, you have to realize this was, this was made for kids. And I'm not a kid, so anymore, well. Um, but I don't even think I would have liked it if I was a kid. And I used to watch some pretty crappy stuff when I was a kid, like some Jan Michael Vincent, uh, you know, World's Greatest Athlete movies and Fred McMurray and Son of Flubber and... <laughs> Yeah. Kurt Russell with the computer wears tennis shoes and stuff like that. But those were like Oscar winners compared to The Last Airbender. <laughs> this movie just, I mean, it just sucked. It, I mean, it had a lot of special effects, a lot of CGI, but Jesus. And I don't know, I may be wrong, but it seemed like everybody who was a bad guy was like of ethnic origin. And everybody who was a good guy was like... Uh, white anglo-saxon and i may be wrong about that because i didn't look up their names but like the eskimos appeared to be quite uh eskimos you mean inuits uh, you know i don't know maybe that's just me and and uh, the little boy didn't look you know i i i may be getting on the wrong track there you know with a little racism there i don't know but anyway um other than that uh i received my nightmare theater t-shirt in the mail today and i gotta tell you that's a hell of a t-shirt and i think everybody should uh 
seek one out. Oot. Because it's nice. And uh, they threw in a, a few little other things, you know, too. So, I mean, it's a, it's a good deal. I liked it. I hate to show for, pe- for anybody, but, uh, you know, Mike is my tag team partner, Daddy. And uh, <laughs> it's a goddamn nice T-shirt. Better believe it's a goddamn nice T-shirt. Um, other than that, that's about it for this week. Uh, hmm, watching the Tuttles go at it, which is kind of sad on uh, whatever their new show is called. Uh, you know, American Chopper, father and son hate each other's guts. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. anyway, that's about it for this week. This is Doug Design, coming from the uh, bunker low beneath the uh, eagle's nest in the black forests of Bavaria, <laughs> okay. saying, Zom Oat. All right, he called back this morning, so I'll just go ahead and play that, too. It's the last voice mail. Sounds like a rendition done by Bobcat Goldwaith or something. <laughs> yeah, something to that effect. Wow, that one was uh, that one just blew through my cans, so to speak, my headphones. That one about blew my eardrums out. <laughs> nice. All right, so that is all of our voicemail. Uh, Doc Zom is always with great reviews and stuff. I don't really know if there's anything really to reply to in his voicemail. He just gave us some great reviews. Uh, I do like Ega or whatever it's called. Yeah, and I, I remember reading some great stories about Archel Junior and Senior and. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a really great movie uh, with Archibald Jr. I think it's called The Sadist. I think uh, it's really cool, uh, really cool little movie. I mean, it's not a great movie like Citizen Kane or something, but it's good. It's good, really good stuff. But yeah, the the halls very interesting. Low budget filmmakers. And for those who are wondering why I yelped halfway through his first voicemail, <laughs> I was wondering about that. What was that? Oh man, you know the soft part just beside your ankle. Oh yes, I hit that off the corner of a desk. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, oh. fucking hurt. <laughs> Even the manliest of men will go down. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it was not. Uh, I was, it wasn't pleasant. I was telling a friend of mine at work the other day that if they ever wanted to end wars, or if anybody ever wanted to take over the world, all they would have to do for the testosterone the men have is find a way to make men who fight in wars have just blow a chemical bomb of some sort that would lead to instant orgasms. Because when a man has an orgasm, it's like it's it's like the end of the world, right? So it's like you're so weak. That the toughest of men could be pushed over by anybody during that moment. It's like, don't touch me. Oh man, I'll tell you. You know, I don't want. Actually, I don't want to get into too much about my <laughs> masturbatory career uh, or sexual exploits. But you're absolutely right. Little weak in the knees is an understatement. Oh yeah, yeah. Put you down. Put you down. Uh, okay, so we can get into our pleasantries and talk about what we're doing next week. All right, let's do it. As I nurse my ankle. Um, Check out our sister shows, of course, OTC and Show Show, uh, Family Movie Night, Chin Stroker versus Puncher, 35mm Heroes, and really, really, I'd say to Sammy off the air, uh, thank you so much to uh, Jordan and Ian for all their kind words um, about our show, our little show here. Um, really appreciated. I mean, you guys are wonderful and you're truly gentlemen. Uh, very kind words, so thank you. Um, Cinerama, NOTLP, of course. Girls on Film. They just actually put out Rabbit Dogs and Chopper. That's a very great episode programming-wise. I've heard some of that episode 
not all of it yet. I finally got out of their Hands of Steel episode. I'm yeah. a little bit embarrassed I was behind, but... I just started listening to the Chopper Rabbit Dogs episode last night. Going to finish it up today. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a good one uh, from what I've heard so far. Um, but yeah, I love uh, Emily, how she wonders aloud how George Eastman's shirt must have smelled on the set. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm going to go uh, with a cheese ball. Yeah, probably... Uh, <laughs> Like a fondue set the next day. <laughs> a liver pate uh, <laughs> after it's been setting out day. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. Uh, Big Red Podcast, Movie Meltdown, of course, Paleo Cinema, the podcast that's Sundown, uh, V Cinema, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, The Gore Press Gorecast, Hammockiss Cast, and I want you guys to get out there and support them. I want to try to. Uh, Throw a thread on our board so people can get into the hammockus stuff. Uh, that, of course, being hammer and hammockus. Right, uh, Brian. Brian sent me an email. He wants me to come on the show. I don't know if he wants that to be a secret. I'm trying to work out a scheduling where I can get on the show. But again, this month's going to be tough. But I'm going to try to get on the show soon. Uh, yeah, and it's a good show, um, Mike. I'll, I'll be completely honest. Uh, I'd never listened to Cadaver Lab. Um, I was aware of it, but Mike, his co-host, um, very likable, very charming, and they got a great rapport. So. Um, definitely everyone should check that out. Um, I Can't Has Podcast, of course, and the Glee Cast. Beyond that, Paracinema.net. Get a subscription to the most wonderful magazine by the most wonderful couple in the MIC. Nightmaretheater.blip.tv. Uh, get over there. And also get a t-shirt while you're there. It's ZOM approved. All you need now is a ZOM banana, Nightmare Theater banana hammock. Uh, so you guys come to the ring and then you'll be good to go. Uh, I, would, I, would guess that, I would guess that T-shirt's probably like a sponge. It's probably uh, absorbent, for, you know, for numerous liquids. Oh, and it's probably <laughs> half shirt, perhaps. I just hit my head on the microphone. You might have heard that. <laughs> yeah, I did hear that. This is a bad episode for us, uh, injury-wise. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we're sitting down. That's the scary part. It is. <laughs> um, we would make a terrible construction team of high-rise buildings. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> well, my biggest problem is I would want to have every day. I'd want to have a gunfight and chase on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, across to the steel girders, man. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> a little bit of water. Yes. Um, blogs, of course. The ggtmc.blogspot.com. Uh, Rupert Pupkin speaks. Um, Pickle loaf. Deadly Doll's House, Rach on Film, Chuck Norris ate my baby. Hopefully Matt got through the next round. Um, Death Rattle 13, Heaven's Trash, The Lightning Bug's Lair, Naked Eskimo, Big Suck Loser, uh, Region Incognito, Fist of B-List, Stinking Paws, uh, Shiftless and Shasta. And beyond that, finally, we're going to get back to CDB, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So Cinema-DE-Bazaar, we are hard to find genre needs, promo code GENTLEMEN, for 10% off your orders, and omg-entertainment.com uh, with GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders. And you can, of course, get the great uh, Koch Media um, uh, version of Silver Saddles if uh, if you should so wish to do so. Uh, iTunes reviews are always great. All, all I got, let me just add, Silver Saddle riding in the sun. <laughs> yeah, I wish I knew the rest of those words. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. one for the ages. Um Facebook, Twitter, of course, gg, uh, twitter.com backslash ggtmc, Rupert Pup, no, Bob Freelander, Piccolo 10, and Large William. Uh, we have a donate button if you should wish to do so. Um, and uh, beyond that, um, I don't have to mention Kringle anymore. Actually, I still have to mention it every week to make sure everyone's getting their stuff and I need to catch my breath. So, <laughs> what are we picking next week and who is our 
Who is I'm sound like a pirate. Who's joining us next week? Well, we're bringing the old pickle loaf back on. He hasn't been on since the Strange Sisters episode with me, so we're bringing him back. Uh, the much fan appreciated loaf, and uh, his mustache is coming along with him. He was thinking about maybe leaving it off the episode this time, but uh, it's detachable, kind of like a uh, like uh, the helmet of the wraith. But uh, <laughs> but uh, he is coming back uh, next week. Uh, I can say what his pick's going to be. Uh, at least I can't say the the Spanish name because I don't have it in front of me. But so you might want to, if you know the Spanish name. But I do know that it's a uh, it's a exploitation film, correct? Certainly is, my friend, and it was reviewed on his blog. Yeah, and it's uh, known. It's an English title, which should just tell you everything. GGTMC, you need to know anyway. It is known as the Hellish Rapist. Or the evil rapist, or <laughs> El Violador Infernal. Yes, I love the Mexican title, but I also love the—I just love the idea of a film called The Hellish Rapist. It's like, okay, that's, what's this film about exactly? That's like I keep forgetting to mention it. That Category Three Hong Kong film—it's got like the most like sleazy title ever. It's called Raped by an Angel. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I keep—I keep meaning to mention that on the air to people. I've always seen that, that name and. I think it might even have yam in it. I can't remember now, but uh, <laughs> raped by an angel. Nice. So that is what uh, the loaf is picking. Uh, what are you picking now exactly for CDB? I thought you were picking it for CDB. Oh, no, no, no. I, I picked the last. I'll tell you what. You know what? I picked the last time loaf was on. Me and him picked together. So I'm going to let okay. you pick with the loaf. Okay. Uh, you have to give me a second. Yeah, I'm going to have to vamp for about 10 seconds. Non-vamping for One 10 sec. seconds. My earphones are off, so oh. I can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what vamping means. Uh I can do like a, uh, you know, like a, like a share pout, maybe. Got it. Okay, cool. <laughs> you ready? Yes. Buckle in, get your popcorn ready. It's L'Ultima Squalo, the last shark. Oh, wow. We have a, that's been on the map for a long time there. That has. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So that's what we're doing. The little, is that Cast, that's Castellari, right? Yes, that is. Yeah, it's a great, great Jaws ripoff. Yes. Big <laughs> so moral. Heaven's Trash will be very excited. Uh, so that's next week's show. Um I think that's it. So let me uh, make sure I got this outro queued up because I never am ready. And, of course, I'm playing with my son in the background. You might hear him getting a little feisty. Uh, let's see here. Blah, 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 blah. Here it is. Outro number. Here we go. All right. So with that, I'll say adios. Adios. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. <laughs>